0: People, the and when I get nervous, I walk, and usually I speak too quickly. Some people understand it, you; they just keep it to yourself and pretend you didn't. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to you about
1: that, because the person who wrote that is dangerous.
0: Welcome to the Dissect podcast. This is Mark Twight, sitting in the studio today with Michael Blevins keegan Dillon and vance jacobs who's here um we've been having some pretty interesting conversations with vance um i mean for me it's it's been fascinating because he's a photographer and has by way of photography um mimicked in similarly the, the the way that you know michael and i would work on a movie job we'd end up in a you know going to another place that we'd never visit otherwise or being exposed to people that we might never have a relationship with you know um, without having uh accepted those jobs or been offered those jobs and it seems that um surfing around on Vance's uh website it's just like some of the journeys that you've taken have been um uh, in in a physical and a psychological sense that are uh, fairly powerful so thanks for sitting down with us thank you for having me i wish i could interview you guys i got a lot of questions
2: (laughs) don't worry we'll talk about ourselves at some point but it's okay Uh, it it was kind of a um a really good I, i mean i owe doug i guess a thank you who's a mutual friend because he just said hey i want you to meet somebody and I think he, he gave me a couple stories and usually when people are like, oh, you do photography, I've got a photography friend. Yeah. You're like, hmm yeah, okay. <laughs> like it's the, what we call the passive aggressive coach. Yeah. Like that sounds great, yeah. like, but he, he was pretty emphatic and he, he told me a little bit about you and he mentioned National Geographic, uh, Discovery, some of the jobs that you've done. And then he mentioned something that really kind of piqued my interest was like, how he does these efforts. Like he goes on these like really long assignments and he, he captures not, you know, subjects that most people and obviously it's some, some of it's military uh, mm-hmm. related and others it's um, just documenting landscape or something like this. And that's what really piqued my interest. So when you were in town and he, he said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. I remembered he he mentioned something. So I rushed down here and sure enough, like within five minutes, you were just. I'm captivated by your experience in in shooting, and I I hadn't seen your pictures yet, but just bringing up your website is like, okay, this is a guy that sees the world differently. Mm. And uh, we we talk about that um, perspective quite a bit, and we haven't had our perspective episode, but perhaps maybe... Just some basic stuff so people understand uh, maybe the the context in which you picked up a camera. Sure. Well, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, So I was uh, doing a study abroad. I was an undergrad at University of Colorado, and I did a study abroad in Australia. And while I was over there, um, one of my professors recommended I try out for an internship at a magazine that no longer exists, but it was sold around the world, and it was sort of like, Sort of like Rolling Stone. It was sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll for the eighteen to twenty-two year old, <laughs> for the layman, <laughs> for the layman. So for I, those I, of you just trying to get into it, exactly. <laughs> this is yeah.
2: Kind yeah. of a how-to yeah. magazine. Yeah, exactly. That magazine yeah. doesn't exist anymore. I'm just going to go ahead and put a foot forward and
3: say we should probably uh, start bring it back. Anyway. Yeah, the
4: beginner's guide to drug, sex, and rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
3: It was it was amazing. So I ended up um, I got the internship, then I got a staff writing position, and. Um, I wanted to do a story in Singapore um, which was, uh, it's a Hindu mystic festival called Taipusam. It's where the people fast for a long time and then they pierce their bodies and they carry these huge structures on top of them and the structures are held to the people through piercing. Uh, Yeah, so suspension. Mm So. Interesting. uh,
2: A book that you recommended, uh, Breaking Open the Head, a journalist who went in to try Ayaboga with the Buitui tribe. Mm -hmm. He was um, at that festival, and somebody mentioned that he should do having a, 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 an Ayaboga, uh, initiation. It's mm-hmm. not called a ceremony, but that it, he was watching all these crazy things happen. He's like, yep. It, whatever gets me out of here kind of deal. Cause this is kind of, <laughs> yeah. Me
3: out. So he went from one to the next. So that's actually kind of a yeah. weird. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was awesome. The, the, the magazine couldn't afford to send a photographer to come along with me. So they said, if you want to do this, which I desperately did, you have to shoot it. And so I I shot it and it went pretty well. And after the festival was over, um, I went and I visited a friend in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, who happened to be working for a very, very big time underwater photographer that did a lot of advertising. So he was making a lot of money. And this gentleman had created a side company that they, they basically look like ATM machines. There were these kiosks, and the kiosks would um, be located in very high-end hotels and in airports and travel shows. And you could touch the screen and you could learn about Fiji. You could learn where to go, what to do, what language they spoke, and all this amazing information. And at the end of it, you could book your ticket. You could book your travel package. And so when I met him just on a chance meeting, Uh, we started talking because he had been looking for a writer that would write in American English, not in British English, Um, and somebody that, you know, had a little bit of a background in journalism. So I was 21 years old and he ended up sending me all over the Asian Pacific Rim with his cameras and uh, (laughs) to to write about this stuff. And so I I, I called my dad and I'm like, uh, it's going to be a while before I come back to the States. And so I did that, and I had all these amazing opportunities. It was all he gave me all the camera gear I could ever want, and he paid for everything. And uh, so I did that, and then I came back to the University of Colorado. I graduated, and then I knew I wanted to go on to graduate school for either photojournalism or um, photography, like documentary, reportage, um, photography, and. I had an interview with National Geographic for their caption department, which used to be, I don't know if it still is, but back in the day, um, the photographers would take the images for a story. The writer would write the feature article and then they had an in-house caption department because the idea, and it was right as web was really taking off. The idea is that each one of those different types of information informed. A little bit the reader just a little bit more and so I interviewed at National Geographic and after the interview was over I had lunch with a longtime staff writer that had done many many stories and I said I I don't know I don't know what path I should take because when you're shooting and writing at least I found um, that neither one of them get much better you know what I mean it's like two parts of the brain it's like texting and driving you know, they're great independent of one another, but you shouldn't do them at the same time. And that's how I felt about writing. And he said to me, he gave me some very sage advice. He said, well, unless you write for us, the likelihood of you being stuck in a cubicle working for a newspaper or magazine is, is pretty great. But if you're a photographer, you'll never work in an office. And <laughs> I, I, I shook the man's hand walked out and immediately started the process to apply into graduate school. And I went to graduate school at Savannah College of Art and Design, which at the time hadn't been around very long, um, but they had brought on some really good professors. And when I went and I met with that school, because I met with some other schools that I was interested in, that school said that if you do really well, like if you're at the top of your class, we will make sure to help you start your professional career before you ever leave. And they did. The first thing they did is they got me an intern, helped me get an internship at Contact Press Images, which represents Annie Leibovitz and a very famous world-class photojournalist named Sebastiao Salgado Salgado, and uh, David Burnett. And so I worked there. So in between um, my first year of grad school and my second year of grad school, I very much had a roadmap for what it was going to take for me to get to the level that I wanted to get to. Um, That's... I mean, that right there is
0: remarkable. We can just end this now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the fact, you know, thinking about, oh, t- sort of 21 years of age, be, being an international traveler in a mm-hmm. sense, and not, not in the, okay, uh, and, you, and, you're, and traveling with purpose and traveling with um, being aware and, and seeing all the time as opposed to, oh, I'm an international traveler because I'm sponsored by my trust fund and right. you know, it's like a different Very travel different, experience yeah. at that age. and It's purposeful. And, yeah. yeah yeah and you and you and, th- and there's this this um organizing thread in a sense that, that that connects all of the different places that you visited that's i mean sh- shocking to me at, at that age when Where? most people you know most guys are uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't seem like you've thrown the opportunity away.
2: like at some point, you know there people talk about luck all the time and you mentioned like I think people that have good luck mm-hmm. recognize what luck is and happenstance and chance meetings with people that can provide opportunity. Yeah. But there's also this uh, untalked about thing that opportunity is around, but it seems like when when somebody gives you the opportunity to travel the world to mm-hmm. you know far and away places, most people would oh yeah, I would have done that. Most people have that opportunity in some sense or some direction, but nobody actually ever takes that step. What was the – let alone get paid and have a purpose to be there. So um, it's interesting to see that you you took the opportunity, developed that, but that wasn't the end of it. That seems like it was the beginning, like you're noticing – things and, and you weren't in love with the camera I take it right at, mm-hmm. right at the get go you're just yeah. like oh it's an object and yeah. it you know people if it provides a, a career or the way to see the world like that's interesting but I still want to go do this path
3: I, I both things are, are right on target one I wish I could give credit to one person that made me understand at a very early age that there was a movie and it had the greatest title ever and it was perfect and I'm going to mess it up but it was something like how to recognize your saints and like at a very young age, I knew like, um, this was my moment. Um, like I just knew, I knew that if I didn't take this leap that I would be missing out on future opportunities. The other thing that you said that was really interesting and right on target is that from the get go, my camera was my ticket. Um, it provided me that I understood that the better I shot, the more opportunities I would have. And so I love the art of it and I love the craft of it. But what I really love is that through work and perseverance and study, um, that you can improve that craft and that craft can improve your life.
0: And, and as we had maybe touched on a little bit before, is just expanding your opportunity. And this is actually something that has come up in, I mean, I think it started uh, uh, when we first recognized on the, um, on the Man of Steel movie of like what happens when you become more capable and you just like the map it's bigger like oh i'm i'm in this place on the map because i only have these skills and i can only see that you know the horizon is fairly close because i'm incompetent you know in a a sense and then as i become you know whatever the 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 mechanism is or the the means okay if if it's a camera or if it's if it's communication in some way or it's training people you know Mm -hmm. or, or like um as i become more capable i get uh, like i start seeing further yeah and uh, being a human being (laughs) the further i can see the further i want to go and like okay this is the thing that allows me to 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 take that journey so i should hone the shit out of this because it because it is the you know the, the the way for me to like go to points on the map that i don't yeah, that I hadn't previously seen. Yeah, you have to no, go farther
2: than what you are comfortable with, sure. and learn what the what the map generates. The um, there there's a, a capability question here, which which is completely worth diving into. But uh, uh, one thing that strikes me is um, noteworthy is the 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 work, like the the word "work" that you relate to the camera, as in this is not a God given talent. That this mm-hmm. is not like oh, I got the right lens and the like super expensive camera and then yeah. the picture appeared to me through yeah. like divination or like some kind yeah. of magical process. Although, you know, revelation while you're shooting a picture sometimes is magical. Like sometimes I've taken a picture and looked at the viewfinder and been like, dear God, how did I get that? Like yeah. I don't even understand what, and I'll look at the settings and the thing and I'll try to look at the light and try to understand how that painted yeah. this digital image. Um, when you understood that the better i can get at this thing the more doors open well, what i see which is really interesting is you identified um you know i i don't like to use the colloquial mindset term because i think people um get lost in it when they say like oh you have a different you have a childlike mindset or you have a uh, whatever you call it um i can't remember the girl's name that did it but um, they basically paint a black and white image. You either are this person that advances mm-hmm. or you're not. But there's also somewhere in between there. And you, you mentioned when we were talking before we started recording the uh, a very similar ethos that we apply to things, which is control what you can control. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people... Um, They try to control which is uncontrollable. They try to control how many followers they have. They try to
0: control how many people like their images. They try to control these things that that is just like. Some people try to control the negative comments that are posted (laughs) below their images. Exactly. And all of this stuff, but identifying like, no, no, no.
2: If I learn to use these little abstract dials in a way that opens a door for another country and another picture, another great like adventure. It's not even, um, it doesn't seem to be that you are even um, hiding in the fact that if you do a good picture, you would be a great artist and people would think about you differently. You went directly to the core of experience for us, which is, if I just hone this skill, Mm -hmm. I can see more. And it's great that Mark brought up that because the first time he, I think, uh, that I remember him using that analogy of a map, um, it made my bike riding better because it when you were like hey if you know you can go 40 miles out and 40 miles back that's 80 miles so if you know you're capable of eighty miles, yeah. you're you can draw a circle around your area, and then you can go out eighty miles and come back. Like not doubling or not being an uh, sure. exponential growth, but to the point where yeah, there there's fractions that we're gaining, and yeah. and if I can improve just a bit, where more people are impressed with the photographic mm-hmm. thing that I produce or or the art that I produce, that provides me the next opportunity.
3: Well, a few years ago, I um, I. Became obsessed with the idea that I wanted to do an Ironman triathlon. <laughs> like, I think at that time, like my my the the things I was being paid to to shoot weren't giving me kind of that the, the, the challenge. They're not scratching the itch. Yeah, yeah, so I did that, and it was interesting because, and I'm sort of into music, but not not really. But it was a time when. Uh, I mean, it must have come out before, but um, Eminem song "Lose Yourself" was like the main soundtrack for uh, Eight Mile. Everything, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, exactly. I everything too for the to, uh, to yeah. next five years. Yeah. Yeah. So after anyway, when miles. when I was doing this stuff, when I was doing like hill intervals until like my 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 vision would start to tunnel, and I couldn't, I I was gonna die. Um, you know, it was that that I had on repeat constantly, over and over again, mile after mile, day after day, and. That's kind of what photography is for me, is that it's like how deep in that hole, how 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 much are you willing to bury yourself, you know, so that you can then do something that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. It's the work that nobody sees that's like that's where it is. The know? bad photos, the like yeah. thousands and
2: thousands of unusable photos. Sure.
3: It's that, or 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 getting ready for a trip by you know, uh, all public. all the preparation yeah. that goes into it, so
0: that actual yeah. sort of things that happen on the trip are more automatic, you yeah. know, in, in a way. Like, oh, I got my like yeah i'm gonna be on the road for a while i got my coffee shit dialed yeah. so i don't have to like think about that in the morning yeah. i wake up i do that boil the water because i have my little kit with me or I yeah. mean, and that's a simple thing but it also like i just that just that's optimization right there <laughs> um I, I i just save myself a bunch of time right or, yeah. or, or i could control this thing sure. because i know i'm a fucking coffee addict yeah and so i i better have it's like hey man you smoke cigarettes you better have a fucking lighter
3: yeah
0: like control that. like, And so if I'm, if I need the coffee or whatever, I've controlled that one piece that just gives me a little bit more margin to, um, address whatever unforeseen kind of interesting yeah. things might come at me. Sure. Later.
2: And the more unprepared, well, the, the better you are at being uncomfortable, the yeah. less prepared you have to be. So being uncomfortable actually sometimes can be a substitute for preparation, right. although that's preparation in itself because right. nobody is just really good at being uncomfortable we yeah. all have this sense that i want my down comforter i want my special pillow yeah I want, you know. i'm okay with synthetic but yeah. if you're like cool a cot a thing yeah, yeah. i can sleep on that and, and the more you can like oh a camera what yeah. is it yeah. oh it's a camera i can shoot on that the less finicky we are the less preparation
3: we need well i think that um you know like I've long used the term that I feel like I'm sort of a method photographer when it comes to some of this more adventurous stuff. The more that I can get in the headspace of the people that I'm photographing, because my best work ty- typically comes from a situation where I'm basically embedded into a subculture. We use the term embedded with military, but mm-hmm. it can be all kinds of different subcultures where you become a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have found that my ability to like just tolerate the suck, you know, just where it just, I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm dying because it's so hard. It's just not, it's miserable. Mm -hmm. And your ability to like block that out and focus. Um, I feel like those types of things are the things that really connect me to athletes. Um, because the ones that are the best athletes, no matter the discipline, not even athletes, the best at anything, it's their ability to like focus, on what's important and block out distraction wherever that comes from Um, and you hear it time and time again whether it's a CEO of a big big company or it's an athlete or or anything an artist of some sort and Mm -hmm. that really has always resonated with me and I enjoy the preparation I enjoy knowing that if I put in the work now it's going to pay off dividends later and I think that that's one of the things that has allowed me to pursue things that I'm way over my head in a lot of these times. Right. <laughs> and I own up to that. I always own up to it when I'm with a group, because the last thing you want to do is come off is in, in, inauthentic. Yeah. Or misrepresent your abilities to never, to, n- to be in this situation in the first place. I yeah. never do that. Um, but it has allowed me because unless you're doing something really technical or dangerous, like the mountain mountaineering that you used to do, um, most of it just has to do with your ability to be uncomfortable and keep up yeah, yeah. and so and to not be a liability
0: in that situation I mean me. there was a yeah. there was a period where I shot of, of two years where I was shooting for a living and get these photo assignments and go to you know different situations and it's like i I can't fucking disappear here, but you know entirely right. but at least I, I don't want my presence to have any sort of effect on yeah. On, on, on what they are doing, right? Um, and, and so you have to sort of, yeah, be able to slot in and be. I mean, I don't. I, we probably overused the term sociopath. Um, <laughs> I was, was going to say the same thing, but, so I think you're on the same line that but, I was. But I would. I would say okay. I need to be fairly chameleon in yeah. in nature and and in nature and in capability in the sense of oh, I'm going on this this particular assignment. Well, there's some basic sort of prerequisite knowledge that would be super helpful and maybe yeah. during the prep period you go uh learn those things yeah, or sure. experience those things because um because ul- ultimately then like wow if i can go at the pace that these people are going whatever pace means in mm-hmm. that context i'm I-, I will be better able to s- capture this, absolutely s- this story so there's a there's a couple um I'm just saying
2: like a map of uh, or a plethora of similarities because we keep how you're assigning uh, importance to jobs and the risk and the in over your head feeling and the stuff like obviously are highly qualified to do whatever there is to be done on a camera. And it seems like. That's the thing that you checked off first was right. that this isn't going to be the limitation, my right. ability to take a photograph. Right. The limitation then is my ability to inject myself into a culture so that I can capture it organically. Yes. And This is something that we um, we try to explain, although it gets uh, masked or um, at least overwritten by people's embellishment of... Um, the celebrity nature of the jobs that we do like we embed ourselves into a subculture of actors and although we call it sociopathy at some points sometimes it's just a uh, it's the opposite it's a maximization of empathy for Mm -hmm. the person that you're really trying to connect to and manipulate or and or um, just uh, conjole into what needs to happen in order to get the best result out of it and in our art obviously Mark is a, a fairly uh, accomplished photographer. So that is his art, but I would say the true art that he's known for is the end result being a person who is changed somehow. Yeah. And there's photographic evidence of these changes happening. And that can only happen when we show up and admit that we're in over our head, that we uh, we have limitations, we identify our limitations. Some of those are fairly well known. You're like, I need fucking coffee in the morning or I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, um, the people that I work with, I have to trust. That is a, a non sequitur to any other work. I, ha- I have to, you know, we have to have this, uh, honesty and assessment. And that that's something that you can do in any subculture is like, look, I'm not here to mess you up. Therefore right. don't do that same thing to me. And if, as long as we have that trust, right. then we can do our job together. Uh, the other interesting thing, just on the, like the, the superficial part that people might notice what a good image takes or, or a good art product is you mentioned, you know, not getting in somebody's way, and, and Mark said this too. Like I don't want to, I don't want to be in the way. I want to be chameleon, um, and it took years for me to understand how to do that. Even in such a simple environment like a gym, capturing an image in a gym without people posing, so I can mm-hmm. get an organic expression from somebody. And that's if I if if I've tried to develop anything over the past couple of years, it's like getting that expression of effort captured on film without them uh, acting. Mm-hmm so what i would
0: tie that back to i just got to make fun of this for a second yeah uh, i think i was gonna is, do the same thing okay <laughs> is like all that ninja training you did when you were younger <laughs> has i did not know that ha, has has um maybe given you the capacity to be um voluntarily invisible
4: <laughs> my thought
0: process is walking wrong. on rice paper <laughs> If you could figure out a
4: way to get people to stop posing in a gym and sell that shit That'd
2: be great. I think that's the point where you drop the mic. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's a slow clap, right?
2: And and this is, maybe this is something like capturing somebody because there's an awkward phase when any situation is, uh, is created. Um, like artificially. So we set up a photo shoot and in in my olden days, it's not that long ago, but when we used to do like fashion photography and beauty, it's the most contrived bullshit you could ever think. Mm -hmm. But we're still trying to sell an organic feeling, a moment where somebody felt beautiful or they're expressing sexuality or one of these things. We're trying to capture and then sell it to people like it just happened naturally. Mm -hmm. Instead, what I think photojournalism can have the opportunity to capture and sometimes what we capture on film in a gym is like, if someone's posing, I can't hide that. Like if somebody's pretending, yeah. uh, it looks like you're pretending. Um, if somebody doesn't do the work that we deem um, is responsible for real transformation, it's obvious. Like it's masked with makeup. It's masked with CGI. It's masked with all these other things. Like capability looks a certain way. And in photography, for, for, perhaps for you, uh, just elaborate on um, the physical skills, you mentioned Ironman, mm-hmm. and how that led to seeing the world a different way. How's, how's effort, physical effort, challenged your way to also use and, and modify your profession?
3: Well, it <laughs> depends on the assignment, of course, but I've definitely had um, quite a few assignments where I had to um, learn, a, learn a skill um, just to be able to participate. So, for okay. example, um, In the last five years, I've done quite a bit with the Special Forces and the National Guard. And um, I got called about doing an assignment where I would go out with um, Green Berets while they were training. They are training to go overseas, and the training was mules and mule packing and <laughs> I've, I've been through that SME course. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So we did, um, you know, the, the best <laughs> military stuff that I've done is always off of, uh, off the bases, right? These private things. And, um, so, um, the idea of the story was to embed myself with, uh, along with a writer who was actually military He's a Black Hawk pilot. Um, so the writer and I were to embed ourselves with this, um, group of, uh, green berets that are actually from Utah and, um, and go with them on this mule packing trip and the mule packing trip was, um, in the Frank church. So it was very, mm-hmm. very oh. steep country, a lot of very yeah. wooded in Idaho. Um, and so we'd go with them for a few days and at some point they would break off and they would try to, um, elude, a, an agency that was using this as an opportunity to track track them. and that, yeah so super interesting the only problem was is I'd been on a horse one time in my life Mm -hmm. so I went and I was like shit all right so I took my own (laughs) money because I knew the magazine was like and I did 20 hours of mule riding lessons and so I did every week I'd go twice a week for an hour uh, for three hours I think um, because it wasn't that long of a stretch and I learned how to ride this mule and If you don't know anything about mules, um, they're pretty amazing in the, in the mountains because they're so Mm sure-footed and they're also smart enough and scared enough not to do something stupid. They're not going to run off a cliff Mm -hmm. so they can go over all this really rugged terrain and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, I went out on my own and I was, I found a coach and we did mule riding lessons literally like how to saddle the mule how to do all this stuff and then went on and on and on and then i was about a week and a half out from the trip and i was doing pretty good i was feeling like all right i I got this i'll be okay um and this is coming from a place where i'm pretty i was not comfortable on horses i was kind of scared of them Um, and so we decided that it was time to let me run really run and so they put me on a field on this mule that i had been riding (laughs) For the last two months and uh it's probably three or four hundred yards long first time was okay right and so we go i get going pretty fast i feel like if you're driving a car you'd be in third gear it goes pretty well so i say can i do that again sure you can do it again so the next time i make it about three steps before the meal gets spooked and i'm like oh fuck, man because what i'd been taught was you know if the meal gets spooked you crank the head Right? you pull it to the side and all i kept thinking is this mule is going faster and faster is if i do this it's going to crater into the ground and so so <laughs> i'm coming up. Like to ride it out like <laughs> try and ride it out <laughs> well, the problem was is that um at the end of this very long run there was a fence and this mule i've been told was big into like running through a fence which oftentimes if you're on <laughs> if you're on a horse an animal when it does this you you get flipped over it So I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I tried to pull the head a couple times kind of passively. I did not want to crater this animal. Um, And so then I finally decided I got to jump off. So I jump off and I end up, I broke my wrist, busted some ribs, like hurt my shoulder. And I'm like a week out from this thing that I've been training for. And I can't like back out of it now. So, you know, I end up going on the trip and like make it through and stuff like that. And it's like, I felt like that injury. One, I felt like I needed every. I was so grateful for every one of those hours of, of, of training that I had received because I could not have done part of, part of the assignment, which was once the guys t- took off and went hiding, um, myself, the writer, um, somebody that they had there to guard their gear, and the, the person that ran the mule packing operation, we all had to pack up their stuff. Mm. And then we had to mule pack out. And now instead of like running in front of the mules to photograph, I had to ride the mule out and it was super steep and scary and I was so grateful for every minute of it, uh, every minute of training I had. But the other thing I was grateful for is I felt like with the busted ribs and the broken wrists and all this stuff, like I felt like it connected me more to the guys. Because when they go on these missions, they get hurt all the time, they get hurt on training. Mm -hmm. And the more iterations, the more cycles they go through of going into combat like you know they're like a finely tuned athlete they hit 30 and 32 and it's like it's a very different animal than when they were 22 mm-hmm. and now they're dealing with stuff in addition to being shot at and all the fear and the risk and stress and stuff and i'm not glad that i broke my wrist believe me and i'm not glad i busted the the, the ribs but but it i felt like it really connected to me them to me to them in a very different way right. Fuck!
2: (laughs) I like.
4: (laughs) I'm glad that wasn't just me. (laughs) No, I,
2: I, I I go. um, I I just listening. I mean, the fact that you did it out of your own pocket is above and beyond what most humans have a desire for, even if they like their profession. So, uh, I, I think any when you when you cross boundaries in any profession, you appreciate when people do the extra work or they go uh, i'm not going to call the extra marks fuck that but they they do more than what's implied and and most people i think the thing that stands out to me is i think most people lack opportunity like they don't see opportunity when it arrives they lack the view of what an experience can offer and then they lack the hindsight to see what it offered yeah. and the beauty of that and the fact that you can appreciate broken ribs and a broken wrist even beyond you know okay it, it, it didn't make your journey any more f- like it made it harder next to impossible possibly yeah. um, but I, I think when when we have a good hindsight to like you know injuries uh, we all have them yeah. but <laughs> it's i, I
0: mean t- and for me looking at that or h- hearing that i'm just thinking one of the things that you just, just mentioned there michael is it like okay i have this opportunity come up if i improve my skills in this one particular area that is going to like you know improve this experience or expand the experience in a way where like oh i can voluntarily change my skill set at you know um out of my own pocket whatever it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. but what that will lead to I mean, the, 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 the greater accessibility to, Mm -hmm. to, to the experience in a sense is like, oh, I don't have to be the guy that they have to sign someone to, to look after because I don't know how to keep my fucking feet warm in the snow or, you know, whatever, you (laughs) know, and and that would be like a very minimal sort of thing as opposed to riding the mule because like got to it. interact
4: well, the, with a beast, things change. <laughs> well, well you, that goes back to you saying chameleon because if you don't know how to do that and people do have to babysit you, always, then you're taking yeah. away from what they have to do because now they know you're there right. because they have to babysit you.
3: The last thing you want to do is ruin their experience. Yeah. I, I mean, liability the government has spent a lot of money to send these guys out there. These guys are sacrificing all kinds of things. I mean, I photographed them. I don't remember how many days a total trip was, but let's say it was five days or six days or whatever it was. I mean, they'd been out there two and a half weeks. This was like their culminating exercise. By the t- yeah, the, the final election. And, yeah. you know, I'm not going to – I don't want to let these guys down. And, um, you know, I went out to breakfast this morning with one of the guys that was on that trip with me because they're based here. Mm-hmm. Um, the 19th? I've, is there, mm-hmm. uh, okay. And I've kept in touch with um, several others. Like out of every group, no matter the yeah. subculture, there's always going to be one or two or three mm-hmm. that I really connect with in a in yeah. a much deeper way mm-hmm. than the rest of them, even though I get along with the rest of them. Um, and this is one of those guys. And, you know, I was talking to him today and, um, you know, recently he's had shoulder surgery because he's teared his... La, 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 labyrinth, labyrinth, lab, oh. labyrinth, yeah, He's chaired that twice. Um, you know, he's had he had knee surgery. I, I, I Facebook timed him one time, and he was on a deployment. and <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I am draining my knee." he's a medic i mean in the, in the green Bridge. and i was like you, what you what and he's like yeah i'm i'm draining my knee cuz there's no one around so he came back so when between when that when he was draining his knee in whatever country he was in um you know he came back he had his he had his shoulder worked on he had his knee fixed and he had a he had a wrist problem as well and so like you know he gets that stuff fixed up now he's back in the game it's very much like professional athletes mm. and like their ability to like you know, to think that a, a professional athlete at the top of their game, even if they're only functioning at 80%, is better than pe- a lot, most people functioning at 100%, and they're able to block that out, and, and you know, they know full well, as I do, like, what this type of wear and tear leads to down the road. I mean, I've had several injuries, and like, now I don't, I train so I can keep doing my job. And that's, uh, you know, why I really, I like, look Full at the Full circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just want to be able to keep working, man. And like, yeah. and you know, it's like, I got to work around stuff. Like you were talking about you know, your injuries and why you got into some of this stuff. And like, you end up working around mm-hmm. stuff. And then of course, that's kind of bad in its own right. Right. Because you, you know, then it work around this. That means I put more emphasis on this thing over here. Wear that right? out. But you know, I've tore, I tore a, um. I've torn a calf that gives mm. me problems I've got my wrists that gives me yeah, problems I've, got, you know and I, I feel like an old man I, when, <laughs> when when I was doing the mule packing thing I had a friend um, I had just a few days between when the accident happened and when I was getting ready to go and I had a friend that had had back surgery and she gave me like her, a bottle of her lex- leftover I don't even know what it was like oxycon or whatever and I would take one in the morning mm. and then I'd take one so I could get a little bit of sleep at night and then do it all over again and um I don't know. I mean, I wish I ha- hadn't, those things hadn't happened, but there was just a deeper level of, of connection between myself and those guys, which they didn't even know about it for most of the trip. But like, once they did, like, you know, it's no, kind of nice it's to be mutual like, respect you're okay. You know? and, and you're all right. You're exactly. not bad for a yeah. photographer. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, when you get, a, get on that kind of job, you know, assigned to the photographer, because I've been on the other end of that from in the climbing career we're like oh we want to give you money usually it always starts with that it's like hey if you will agree to have the film person or the photographer or whatever come along then we'll give you money and we're like we're just distinctly lacking fucking money so we'll let this person come but they can but but they're always if if they don't do their due diligence and like um uh train up their skill set prior to coming or if they don't already have that natural ability it's like oh you're always going to be on the outside you're always going to be taking pictures from the outside but the best guys i worked with were guys you know who honed their you know their uh, climbing craft or their ski touring or whatever so they could they could go and be part of every single thing that we did and you know ultimately not not only not be um a, a distraction but in potentially difficult situations they might even be an asset right. because they did the work up front which I, I don't know if i'm just being like cynical kind of and curmudgeon and get off my lawn kind of shit but um <laughs> but it's just like it seems that's like one of those things that seems to be a little bit lacking mm-hmm. right now that that oh no, no no just and i think ross mentioned it in one of our discussions is like oh no just tell me everything that you know and i'll be able to do what you do yeah like uh i'm Sorry, I mean, we mentioned it in Joe, with Joe the other night. It, we had the topic of, you know, sort of expertise without experience. Um, and I uh, would have to say the same thing of like, oh, yeah, I can give you all the knowledge, but since you never assimilated or, 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 or yeah. actually expressed it, then it's, um, it's knowledge without experience and therefore so, somewhat unuseful. There,
2: there does seem to be um, this weird, um, there's a problem, right? So I want to get a job doing what I want to do. I therefore have to fake what I know in order to impress upon the person that I need this job. But when I get the job, I then have to simultaneously admit to myself that I know nothing so that I can be open to actually learning the job that I'm supposed to do. And so, okay, there's something required societal-wise that I need to fake it till you make it kind of deal, but immediately ditch that and then learn the thing to make up for it. And I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have opportunities that I've tried to capitalize on but it has always been followed up with trying to do the thing better. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the, the injury before like learning a skill. There was a, uh, a, a movie job that we did where we wanted to enhance the gymnastic. Like we had extra time, and we wanted to teach this fellow some gymnastics. So um, I, I had done some tumbling when I was a young kid, but I was by no means a gymnast if you couldn't tell, um, <laughs> be the world's <laughs> biggest gymnast. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, you, just leg wise. Like yeah. I think my leg weighs as much as a gymnast. Right. Um, but there, there's nothing that you can't, uh, there's always some kind of left. I, I didn't imagine myself holding an iron cross and, you know, doing whatever, but what I imagined was like, Oh, this is a cool opportunity to step outside and relearn something that I might, you know, use someplace other. So, we ended up doing some of the gymnastics training over a couple months running out of place and i was just like two days ahead of what i had to teach so it was it was a it was definitely one of those like okay i need to get this down so that i can then inform the person how to do this later because i don't know how to do it myself yet so it was like i'm just a day ahead of you but i practiced hard enough for that day in between that it didn't look that way right um and then it, funny enough by the end of it i got a slap tear uh tore my labrum uh in my left shoulder from just overdoing it on gymnastic stuff uh, and i look at that injury as a, it, like that's the remarkable memory that i have from I was like oh that's the scar that i have from doing the thing that i tried to pull
0: off right. which i hopefully i pulled off decently um i mean i rolled up after being away for a while when you were we were in the sort of middle of that job <laughs> and i was like when did Michael, go all gymnast on (laughs) this. (laughs) I got a press-to-handstand. That was cool. No, I was
2: 217 pounds at the time. So a press-to-handstand at 217 is is an impressive feat. But even better than that, it, it, it was the... The ability to recognize that our client wanted something different and that we could offer something different, like an experience, something and learn something different that he had no idea existed. I never knew that I could do a handstand and roll around and tumble and that that crossed over into him feeling better about the whole deal. And like, so you learning to ride a mule might be one of the most abstract fucking skills (laughs) that anybody could ever learn, but I imagine if I'm correct that the parallels um, that you would learn from that are just infinite like yeah. they they play in it and we relate this to our society today because we're in a first world country and we have fucking bmws and whatever but i imagine because of where you work in the world this is not the only time that a skill like something this will come in yeah.
3: you know one of the um you know one of the biggest um i don't know the one of the things that i um put a lot of effort into actually when I'm going into a different type of subculture is language. It's a weird thing right? Because it's not it's not (laughs) No, we're just laughing because also
0: this weekend the topic of language and changing it in order to either communicate better (laughs) or or or, or (laughs) integrate into a subculture um, that you are not a member of but the the easiest way is to speak
3: the language. language to speak clearly yeah. yeah so the the um the military stuff I, c- I can't give a more difficult example than um because as it, as most people know the, the acronyms la- the acronyms are just <laughs> off the hook right <laughs> um and you cannot after you you can ask a few times what something means but after that you are distracting from their experience <laughs> uh, i can't tell you how many books i've read um, uh, my Josh, who we've talked about earlier, who's my uh, pararescue guy that did all the all the crazy, crazy missions overseas for years, like he not only helped me with the language, but he helped me with kind of a pie chart of how the special operations break down and like what the different roles are and stuff like that and just i don't have to say anything using the language just having someone speak to me and i understand the gist of what the hell they're talking about (laughs) has been hugely important and i've not only done that with um, with my work with the military um, but almost any subculture Mm -hmm. the other thing that really helps is it's amazing how if you can do it in an authentic way if you speak in a way that they're very familiar with suddenly their ability to feel connected to you is mm. much greater um so and that's true with any subculture yeah. you know I'll, I'll change my cadence a little bit i'll mm-hmm. change different things and it's all of these things to help speed up buy-in <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, buy-in. Into... i'm just thinking of the
4: parallel to that with us talking about coaching earlier it's like every client you get is different but you mm-hmm. need to know like how to speak mm-hmm. to that client based off what they know or how they receive information right. to give them the best experience possible.
2: What, yeah. what sucks about what you just said, and <laughs> not that that sucks, but what uh, um, a potential downside to a, a positive thing that you're expressing, which is the ability to communicate to another person by matching their tempo. Um, I think that it's been useful uh, in maybe perhaps it's been a subconscious mm-hmm. uh, effort by people who communicate well, like um uh, matching body language is one of the easiest ways to do it so if somebody stands in front of you and they cross your arm if you just match them there's a relief there Mm -hmm. of where they go okay they're like they're just like me and then but on the the downside of it becomes when it becomes used as a tool for misinformation or for delusion because uh, and i experienced this firsthand working for uh, as a consultant for a supplement company, that happened to be like a multi-level marketing thing, which mm-hmm. is a total bullshit thing. I would watch, you know, they purposefully started in the South, like in the or in the Midwest and in the South, uh, in small towns, because they could match the tempo easier and be a local. They have a colloquialism mm-hmm. that yeah. they could attach to. And that you, you, you see whatever town we'd go in, they treat it much like a motivational speaking event. Um, sadly enough, like I made money off of consulting for these people, but also like just being fully aware that we are fucking tricked at all times because people take advantage of these human qualities that are very important for communication. But, uh, you know, when when we're in a Skokie fucking Missouri, which is like town of 10,000 or whatever it is, and there's great people there. There's nothing wrong with being from a small town. Uh, people prey on that. like I saw that the the, the drawl changes and yeah. the references to the Lord and Savior become more prevalent and like just the the masterful manipulation of language in in a kind of a diabolical yeah. way and we see it like Hillary Clinton's probably the best example of it where she's like, where we're from (laughs) and it's just like it changes immediately suddenly she has like black ancestors if that's the demographic she's trying to to reach and so i see it as like yeah that's it's great that you've been able to identify the genuine way to communicate with somebody is like the buy-in is uh, man i wanted to have a conversation with you so i learned all these acronyms and that's real that that is devastatingly um Impressive to somebody that's like you had no reason to do that, yeah. um, and the same thing happens. You know, uh, I had to do it as a as a hairdresser to talk to people. You have to pick up quickly on their background, their culture, their status, this yeah. kind of thing. Therefore, you are not misspeaking right. because the worst that I, this got explained to me um, by a very well known hairdresser that that I uh, learned a lot from at a, at a young hairdressing age. He said, um, you know all of your habits speak the language for you. And you don't want that to happen. He's like, so if you're, you know, you smoke, I don't give a shit if you smoke, but if the person that sits down in your chair is an avid yoga goer and drinks green drinks and she can smell cigarettes on you, that means you're not masking your language. She knows you don't give a fuck about yourself. And therefore you have nothing in common. And so, this like you even your body language, even even your habits carry over. not brushing your fucking teeth is like something that people pick up on immediately if they're attuned to be like, oh that person doesn't give a shit. But the other things that you can change about caring become obvious because you took the time to learn some language, you took the time to really investigate. Uh, before you even arrive probably the culture like what's appropriate what's inappropriate mm. and i know when me and mark land anywhere wherever it's at in the world we're really interested in what people yeah. are like bulgaria was rough because i remember being like hey what does that sound like te- teach us some cyrillic teach us some some bulgarian and they're
0: adamantly opposed to it like, interesting and and they wouldn't even let us drive right that was one of the few yeah. jobs where we weren't issued a, a car huh. we're like well because you'll never be able to do it i'm like well we've ride our bikes on these roads every day and and we we know that um that during rush hour it's okay to drive on the sidewalk we've seen it right yeah you know if it's all blocked up on the road just get on the sidewalk i mean that's cool right (laughs) (laughs) well if a horse cart is coming at you head on then yeah just get (laughs) up just get up on the but hence yeah we were not able able to drive but just to have that that uh and I think we had maybe an advantage in a lot of these situations because one of the first things we also would do when we land in a foreign place is like get on a bike yeah and go out and like, oh, now we don't have a barrier to the experience in a way. Sure. Like we're just like, I can smell it, I can feel it. I can see look in people's eyes. I can get this behavior. but but it really is in a sense like a, a an immersion. Um, like crash course in Bulgaria. Sure.
2: I, there was an, I want to say it was Mark Twain, but it could be Bukowski. It was one of the early American, <laughs> yeah. it was a, this is a totally different thing. But it, one of them said that the best way to see a city is to run it. Right, And the best way to see a country is to ride it. Sure. And I think that still to this day, when you ride your bike through a country, yeah. it is a completely different experience. You're going on the same roads as a car, right. but the sights and the sounds and the smells and the, the pace dictate that you can kind
3: of right. understand the land better. A few years ago, we um, I did an assignment uh, with my he's my dearest friend i've done tons of stories with him come up with him a guy named luke dietrich and we did a story um he was a writer i was a photographer on a story for esquire magazine where we walked um from the pacific and we walked a, a section of the u.s mexico border mm. and it was at the time where the border was all in the news all the time and we just felt like um the talking heads that we saw, we knew had never been there. I mean, um, you know, especially the format, the way the news is now with slash budgets and stuff, it's just way more cost effective to basically talk about other people's story, basically in research. Um, And Luke was the one that presented that we should walk it. Um, And it was for that very reason, because we felt like one, it was being talked about by a bunch of people that had never been there. We had never been there. And two, if we walked it, it would be paced in such a way that we could kind of really get the most out of every day that we were out there. Because it was so slow and, mm-hmm. and hard and painful. And, and the way you're approached when you're in a car and you're vulner- when you're not in a car and you're so vulnerable mm-hmm. is very different than when you roll in in a in a more aggressive posture
2: it might give posture. you a little bit more insight to what actually happens on a border when people are walking and not in a vehicle is that kind very, of the, the very
3: much so and just the, the the pace of it and also our, our goal was to stay um, as close to the border as possible mm-hmm. um, you know, so sometimes we were walking along a freeway. Sometimes we were uh, like uh, outside of San Diego. Like just to get from the Pacific out over San Diego, you're walking up in all these mountains. But the border is never out of your sight, even though it's super steep. And then we'd cross in and into Mexico and walk walk along the border on that side. And then we'd cross back in. Um, and that pace, I think, really made it a much richer experience for us and then hopefully a much richer experience for the people that saw the article. I just
2: want to see the demographics um, when you give somebody an idea for a job and even in their own profession, you're like, look, we're going to do it this way and it's going to be way harder. It's going to be way more painful, way more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And to see how many people back away from that without realizing that that's actually the way to an experience. It's the, it's the way to highlight something by making it difficult. Yeah, What, what pain is just this, you know, perception problem.
3: I think, um, you know, the, 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 articles that Luke and I pitch usually sometimes they're brought to us and then we, we ratchet up the, how di- difficult it di- is. The difficulty level, yeah. Because we feel like it's going to be a much more memorable experience for everybody, us included. I mean, <laughs> awesome. we're, we're, we're selfish. Like we want, like, we want to know like uh, what it's like. Um, so we often ratchet it up. We did a thing, Luke and I did a thing for backpacker magazine a bunch of years ago where Um, There was a guide in the Atchafalaya Swamp. He he had a kayak company. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to, this this was quite a while ago, so it was before handheld GPSs became very common. And he wanted to know what was way, way, way in there, way beyond what he had ever done because potentially he could take people back there. And so Backpacker pitched it to Luke, and Luke and I talked about it, and we spun it, that we should go back in there without a guide um, <laughs> and so, so we we went into two flat bottom uh, kayaks loaded with gear and um, a GPS that we were like figuring out right before we stepped into the swamp. <laughs> and we did it.
2: And like, does I, the you know, does that GPS
3: point out fucking crocodiles or? Oh, man, it was awful. The I'm guide sorry, the guide like, was like, "You are gonna die. <laughs> like, don't do this. is not good." And like, nobody like we had a spot tracker and like. They, they were like, if you need rescue, you'd be lucky if you got a signal from where you are. Because I think the flight, you know, if you needed a true rescue, the flight would have to come from like, I don't know, Galveston or somewhere else. He's like, do not do this. And we're like, oh, well, we're going to do this. <laughs> um, so, and you know, we're, we're stupid. I mean, we, we, we have done several things where we are not going in as we're not going in nearly qualified enough to do what we're about to do mm-hmm. and that sort of makes it interesting and it also makes it more relatable <laughs> sure you know? yes. is a good word yeah <laughs> um so we we did stupid shit like um i so we knew we needed food so i contacted a very good writer friend of mine the rights for outside and all these things and she was in search and rescue in jackson Hole for a lot of years and i said what do we do for food and she said go get mres meals ready to eat the military mm-hmm. food so i tell luke hey luke you gotta pick up some MREs in Atlanta on your way down. So he's like, all right, so he goes to an army surplus and the guy looks oh, at him yeah. square. And these MREs must have been from Vietnam. Uh-huh. Like they were so old, we ate like one day of those and we let, we, we spent the rest of the trip just eating Cliff Bars. Like if I never saw another Cliff Bar in my life, yeah. to this day, I would. I did that with Lara Bars, so I. Okay, yeah, exactly, I, right? <laughs> I've had so many
2: Lara Bars in my fucking life, if I ever see another one, I. I, I uh, it would be, have to be a starvation. It'd <laughs> totally. have to be a death situation. Totally. Don't
3: show me that clip for yeah. me. And
4: even then, you're like,
2: eh. yeah, yeah, I'm like 48 hours till
3: the next meal. Yeah, I think I can make that. <laughs> <pretty> like, cool. <laughs> Man, I lost so much weight. I, I think <laughs> yeah. I probably lost like, I don't know, 10 or 15 pounds in like five days. I, I, I mean, I, part of it's, you know, the physical activity and the lack of food, but mostly it was just fear, just like low grade constant fear the 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 i don't remember if it's alligators or crocodiles but whichever one it is they had given birth recently and the the guy the kayak guides big fear the big fear was that we would because you're so quiet Mm. and and when you're in the swamps um it's not like the everglades where it's like Mm. grasslands it's like you feel like you're walking through a forest except that you're not you're in water and there's no way to step out and you're in a boat so you're at like ground level um, a flat-bottom kayak, right? And so the big fear was that we would float over a crocodile or alligator and spook it, because it wouldn't right. hear us, right? Yeah. The other thing that was like just low-grade fear was that the snakes would sun themselves on the logs, and the logs aren't up in trees. They're like fallen logs and and shrubs and stuff that must the roots must be in the water, but they're above above the water like mangrove, line. mangrove mangrove to? oh, okay. totally okay. but rarely very narrow i mean as narrow as a hiking path that you've ever been on where you can't get uh-huh. out and and luke would be like all right here comes you know here comes a snake and we would be he'd line it up so that the water moccasin that's swimming along would be forced to go under his kayak and now it's my time Oh, fuck. So, you know, then it's my time. I'd try to line it up the best I can and and go over the snake and keep going. Ugh. But the big worry is that a snake would fall in the boat that was just sunny himself. And then we'd freak the fuck out, flip the boat, and then now you're in the swamp with the snake and the- And, and, and the, whatever And else. everything, and, you and lost every, all your supplies everything and everything All else. the other shit. Yeah, yeah. It, we, it, went, fuck, we, it. Went, we went like whole days where we <laughs> couldn't find enough, once we got way back in there, um, we couldn't find any solid ground So it looks solid. Mm. I mean there's logs everywhere and stuff, but as soon as you touch it it drops into the water and so we were like there was one I was maybe on the third day or something, but we were going along and We just couldn't find anywhere to get out. I couldn't go to the bathroom, I had to pee and stuff. I couldn't get out of the boat for hours. And we're running, the lights getting low, and we're way past where we would see the little hunting stands. They Mm. had these hunting stands. First they had hunting cabins, then they had hunting stands, and then they had nothing. And we were in the nothing part. Um, And we (laughs) couldn't find any solid land. And finally, right before it got dark, we found a piece of uh, ground that was probably, I don't know, 10 feet by 20 feet or something. we hung up our hammocks, and we're totally surrounded by the swamp. It's the fucking longest night of my life. <laughs> Which is awful. I'd be like, Luke, Luke, do you hear that? Do you hear that, man? Like, you, no, just so was
2: it like an hour in when you're
3: like, this was a fucking bad idea. Like how many You know when it was when this was a bad idea was when we pulled the car off the side of the road. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever been so like before you even started <laughs> oh, yeah. you realized yeah, that. Yeah, like- yeah, man. It was it was bad. So the um you know, I don't know if you've ever been in the South, like you're on the on the highways and there's that, the forest and whatever, and you're looking at it. And also we walked in right before it got dark. So we had very little time to kind of get our, even our first campsite in there set up. But when you're driving along one of these highways in the South and all you see is area that you would never walk into, mm-hmm. that's what we had to, we walked into it. That's what <laughs> So, uh,
2: I'm guessing that because um, this is such an arduous ordeal, you probably prefer, prepared by just doing CrossFit, right? Because it's unknown and unknowable? <laughs> you the, know, uh, <laughs> just... Uh, how did that... Yeah, how did did that your, shit functional. Yeah, yeah, did your thrusters come in handy when a snake jumped in your boat? Like, no. It no, it was, but explosive <laughs> box jumps did.
3: <laughs> There's nothing. I think... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that... Um, I think talking to my friend that was in search and rescue really helped. Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't know the MRDs were going to be from the '80s, and but other than that, the tips of like how to how to handle yourself if mm-hmm. something goes wrong. I mean, so much of it's mental, like mm-hmm. just trying to control that fear. Because I mean, I, I I don't know about Luke, I can't speak for Luke, but I mean, it was I was scared a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of it, and just being able to kind of keep going and being like, all right, all I got to do is make it another 100 yards. Okay, all I gotta do is get over that snake, Then all I gotta do is that. Um, and if I can do that, and but I had no choice, This is right? where naivety fails Totally. You know? I was gonna say, <laughs> no, I just if go you home. weren't scared, you're lying. <laughs> no, I was oh, so yeah. scared, man. I mean, I, I lost oh, yeah. that weight out of just that, the whatever you're, yeah. the cortisol so that's like cranked in my can system. Can we do
4: like the fear diet protocol? <laughs> the, totally. <laughs> the, it fear, works, man.
2: the fear body. It's real <laughs> emaciated.
4: <laughs> the fear body?
0: I, I'm just, everything that's been discussed in I don't know the last five or ten minutes reinforces the reason that I went to the mountains. I need to go higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Because the higher I go the less likely there are to be well, snakes, snakes, bugs, other insects, yeah. and every any time that people be like, "Hey, d- you should go do a jungle thing," I'm like, "No chance." Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, no, a hammock? I'm fine with a portal edge, but not a hammock. Like, I that's a level. You can I'm,
2: bivy, and that scares the fuck out of me. But yeah. I think I would rather bivy than do what he's talking about the ten by twenty jungle or the the oh, ten no. by twenty swamp prison
0: that he slept in for six days. I, I just <laughs> staggering to me i mean obviously we're you know our brains are fairly elastic and and into mm. what we can can adapt to but i just like i hear that and i you know'm like man it's just it's i i like the idea of that sort of personal confrontation not only like mm. with it's not necessarily a confrontation with the environment the confrontation is with self um within that environment but to be put in a place where wow i really need to um, I guess not be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I was so like, so like, did you?
2: bit of it. I imagine you came back and posted on your Instagram a face of a lion and talked about how being a wolf is like. Yeah. I, I mean, like when most people reference like nature as like oh yeah i'm part of nature i go you don't mother nature fucking hates you
4: you took a hike on a trail that's been there for a long time it wants to get you it wants to fucking kill
2: you and that was my experience going around africa was like this feels like the terrain is malicious like it feels like everything about this is jagged i mean to steal his reference of the mountains had teeth is like, not to that because they're not that jaggedy in Africa, but the land, like I'm constantly like looking at the ground when I did trail runs to be like, what snake is going to fucking grab me? What like bug is going to land on my neck and fuck me up? And so when I see people reference this like nature is and they think that they're one of those things. I'm like, you haven't been in nature. Nature is fucking terrifying. And and you have a huge amount of respect for it. The first time I went shark diving was like, (laughs) I got, I was starving after that because I was fucking shaking uncontrollably. know, the water was cold, so that was part of it. But the fear, because it wasn't that cold until I saw that massive fucking great white yeah. head and I've never felt anything yeah. so fucking terrifying. Like I, my th- heart came through my throat and I was like, he knows I'm scared too. He would eat the fuck so out well, of me." So I, I just shit myself in a shark cage. It's like making me feel uncomfortable just you depicting that. Uh, like, it's just like, uh, it's so massive that you can only see a fucking fraction of the monster that would just doesn't give a shit about you because you're not a threat is just like, Oh, that guy's scared. Let's swim. past.
3: That's (laughs) how I felt. He viewed the world. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, um, I know very fortunately, like a lot of the assignments that I've done, I've done with, um, either Luke or Mm -hmm. someone like Luke. And it's like, I feel like because we're sharing this experience Mm -hmm. and because I, because I totally trust his, read of situations and, and things like that, like I'm able to to deal with it. It must be like, you know, it's like, like what you have going on here where everyone's at such a high level that you just kinda know that people know, they get it. Um, and, you know, I think my uh, courage goes up when I'm around people that I know can handle themselves and be a good guide, be a good informer for what needs to happen in critical situations. Um, (laughs) So, Like Luke, you were talking about Africa. After that, I don't remember who it was for, National Geographic, Traveler or Outside or something, but he did this thing where he went to Africa, I think it was in Kenya, and there was a group of um, researchers that were trying to figure out why every once in a while a male elephant will break away from the group and just go for a run. For like a hundred miles or more just break away they didn't know why they would do these things because of the women well, i yeah. was just about to say was like they got in a fucking yeah, argument yeah, exactly. with their spouse I, <laughs> I just need a break i need a road trip so anyway uh, luke went um with these scientists and i think they're in kenya and they were in really really rugged uh-huh. a lot of snakes the the their support team was like a group of locals that brought goats that they were going to slaughter along the way hmm. They ended up running out of water, and they had to make a decision near the end on maybe the last day or the second day whether they should drink from the one that said like poison or petrol oh. or water. And they didn't they had no more. They didn't know which was which. They had all been used for different shit. Different shit. And can you imagine like taking that swig and not knowing whether you're getting poison, petrol? Or, I it mean, probably petrol, all, Water it probably it all smells the same. It, it, you know, <laughs> and so. I don't know, like um, being able to share an experience like mm-hmm. that is really important and I feel like it definitely ups your, at least it ups my uh, ability to handle it. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, I don't like, I agree 100 fold, but feel like the biggest pussy ever because I have nothing to, to add. <laughs> to add. Well, I
4: just like that you keep, like you keep talking about trust. You brought up trust earlier mm-hmm. with like being around people that you trust implicitly, like your life was literally on the line yeah. the whole time you are out there and you were with somebody that you're like, I'm more calm because I trust this person. Yeah. And I've kind of put myself in shitty situations the last six years, something like that, where it's like <laughs> I can't do the thing that I want to do 100% because I'm worried about all this other stupid shit because I don't trust the people that I'm around. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's an important thing to find yeah. in a career or in a friend or in all of that. Sure. Well, you know,
3: dealing with like the special forces and stuff, I can't imagine. You know, a lot of these guys are are forced to work with um, units from other countries and stuff, and worrying about whether they really have your back or not. And even if they do have your back, um, they're not nearly as well trained. And Mm -hmm. so, I can't imagine going into these incredibly dangerous situations, way, 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 way beyond anything Mm -hmm. I've ever done, probably ever will do. And like hoping like hell, they they can they can handle it. Yeah, that's I, yeah. That I, has
2: been one of the. Uh, I think you're probably going to probably say the same. The, the Iraqi uh, forces that you have to train up, and you know, as part of the you know hearts and minds mm-hmm. campaign, I, I think that struck a chord with everybody that is very good at their job. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people have talked about this over various stories and whatnot, but that that to me is like the most frightening scenario to be able to go into something that's dangerous and then the people that you're with are fucking dangerous and that that, that illuminates like how easy it is for me to cut people out like right. <laughs> you're a fucking liability. You're going to make any experience I do more dangerous. You need to leave, and then yeah. to be forced into that situation, and to have no sympathy for the situation because it's part of a hard, It's part of a political campaign. Right. It's like that is fucking unforgivable right. to me. I
4: was, was going to say I think that goes back to trust too because so when I was in the 82nd Airborne, we were in like the Zabul province in Afghanistan. Just our platoon with like a platoon of the Afghan National Army. But it was like because you trusted the guys you were with like that Afghan National Army is no similar or no different than like you in the jungle with the crocodiles or anything Mm -hmm. else like relatively harmless to you until they're not. Right. But it's like because you had these guys who had your back that you knew like while you were sleeping they were watching out for you and vice versa. Yeah. It's the same idea. With that whole trust aspect. Sure.
3: I, I can't even imagine I mean to me it would be like you having to go on one of <laughs> the climbs you've been on with somebody you don't know <laughs> or like man like that's just happened yeah. <laughs> <laughs> been there. I mean
0: but uh, and but, but but yeah I mean the, the that trust piece it's just like oh I'd rather be here by myself mm-hmm. than be with someone who I don't trust mm-hmm. yeah. just because Okay. Yeah. If I'm if I'm here with someone I the, 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 I trust, then the sum is greater than the, the the individual parts. If I'm here by myself, it is what it is. If I'm here with someone that I that I'm second guessing everything they do, well, it's like we're obviously going to fail, and it's a shame that we've come all this way. That like, dude, I don't like. I will never. I mean, John Ross had, had this thing um, where he's he uh, on after coming back from one of the trips in the Himalayas i think it was nanda devi and they he, they were asking him like well why didn't you uh, you are not you know using the fixed lines that other people put in and he goes well i didn't put the anchors in so i'm not yeah. climbing that rope and uh, and there somebody asked him after that and they're like well what are you what are you worried about that somebody's you know you're that you're going to die and he goes oh yeah someone's going to die on this trip but it's not going to be me <laughs> And that guy just was just like, okay, I don't trust these people well enough. I'm yeah. gonna, you know, to to be here, so I'm only going to rely on the stuff that I myself have put in place, or I myself yeah. do. And I mean, it'd be a shit way to. I mean, I, I the, the trip that I was describing that I was on, it was with a guy that you know I had worked with a little bit on an action film. Um, our climbing resumes suggested that we had similar ideals and yeah. ideas about doing stuff in the mountains. And it turned out to be completely fucking different, yeah. either due to withholding or, you know, my inability to, you know, I was I was fluent in French at the time, but there's a whole sort of um, you know, go back to like, yeah, I learned the language so that I could participate in this thing. But there is like that's the, the language is the tip of the iceberg. It doesn't allow me to you know have this sort of cultural knowledge that is mm-hmm. innate. And so, so we. there's just, lots of people that speak English and there's
2: lots of people that lift weights and there's lots of people yeah. that ride bikes. And I get along with about 1% of them that I can
0: communicate with and have an ideas. because the 90% is, is, is in yeah, sort garbage. of invisible, yeah. uh,
3: you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got a question for you. So here's my question. Um, how do you, how do you deal with the fear of some of the stu- do you, like, Are you scared when you're doing these climbs ever ever, or do you block it out or do you embrace it? Like, how do you how do you keep going and keep thinking because it's so technical, like one slip and you're done? Like, how do you? Um, Let's see.
0: Scared. Yes. Pretty much all the uh, or you know <laughs> your t- career is can, on ice how do you handle that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean or i mean you just say okay it's it i could say yeah i have a heightened level of sensitivity in these situations or i could just like straight up say man I'm, yeah i'm fucking scared um but then there are also but that's not just um there are more periods of that and again, and again it goes maybe goes back to what i was talking about this sort of the you know mental elasticity or what we the the, the things that We can adapt to that are sometimes somewhat shocking. Yeah. Um, But because I would look back and I go, well, there was never a trip that I was, or a a climb where I was scared, you know, 100% of the time, you know, from 10 feet off the ground to getting back to the, you know, all the way up and get back to the ground. I was never in a a situation where um, I was scared the entire time. But one of the things um, in the first book that I wrote, which was a, I like to call it a how not to for hard (laughs) alpine climbing because it was mostly lessons about shit. you know hey this went wrong and this is what we learned (laughs) and then we got a little more ambitious and then this went wrong and this is what we learned sort of like that but in the chapter about um you know sort of psychological training if you will it was the thing that i came up with was you know the wise man knows how to fear that which should be feared, mm-hmm. and you go into anything. You start climbing. I mean, and I, I, you know, in the context of climbing, when I first started it, everything was scary. Like I didn't know what. Uh, like I'm just afraid all the time. But most of the shit I don't need to be afraid of. Yeah. But but it's just it's foreign enough, or or whatever it is that that like okay, there's unknown, there's uncertainty. You know, here there's a lack of skill. I'm like wow, I'm in over my head. But I need to. Um I can't get back down, so I need to keep i need to fail upwards in, right in a, in a way <laughs> you need to um, fail up uh, it, <clears throat> but in the in the beginning it was it was just that it was like this irrational expenditure of energy of psychological energy because I wasn't you know fearing i didn't have enough experience or education to fear the things that were it, you know the um, where fear was appropriate. Right. It was just this blanket sort of emotional response. Um, and, and then as sort of skill and experience increased, it's like, oh yeah, I, I'm, um, yeah, this situation's totally fine, yeah. you know, which would have been utterly paralyzing sort of five years before. Interesting. And I, I think that, um, you know, with the military training that I did, I learned a lot from those students of, you know, me thinking like, oh, well, that was super scary. And then they would go, or, or, or they would be sort of terrified by things that I was able to adapt to
3: right.
0: or had adapted to already, but then they would tell stories or we would do, I would do something on an FTX with um, d- different groups and I'd just be like, okay, I'm losing my fucking mind here. And they're like, what? Hmm. What, dude, you're a mountain climber. You do this crazy yeah. shit. And I'm like, yeah, but this is fucking wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, the... I mean, we never had a sitting the the FTX I did with a, the with the Mule Skinners and this <laughs> <laughs> unit. It was it was never like that. It was unfamiliar enough that I was just I I just kind of said, "Well, I'm not here yeah. um, to to learn this thing because I'm not going to be I'm not the guy going over there who's going to have to do it." So like I could step back far yeah. enough that the fear was sort of you know manageable in that situation. Or, um, but I think in uh if in the mountains um you know the, the the fear is absolutely constant then it's then it's not for you right like this is probably something you shouldn't you know like right. do like if 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 that's the response and and that was my experience in the mountains um early on and then like i said later it's like oh i'm here by myself i've come you know i'm you know there's no one around i mean i've got yeah there's a I mean I sold this thing in the Himalayas that um down in my base camp there was a um you know sort of a cook that I had and the guy kinda looked after base camp while I wasn't there and like, okay, now I'm boat has been pushed way the fuck out. But it was at a point in my career when it was okay. Right. Like that.
3: Yeah. You had enough under you. I feel like
4: experience is the thing that kinda like dampens that fear and over time like that fear kind of turns into respect and, mm-hmm. and I mean
0: I think that's t- universally true yeah. mm-hmm. you know in any kind of thing and, and, and the one thing also I would, I would sort of put there about um, sort of those maybe chaotic situations in the mountains or, or whatever it's, it's um, that uh, you
3: I lost it <laughs> so during during the, like a chaotic situation when you're in the mountains like I
0: I I mean it's it's
3: uh yes it's
0: chaos and but you have with experience you reach a point with you know where you can sort of organize that chaos mm-hmm. in in your head that it's not um and and maybe it has to do with the preparation that we were talking about a little bit earlier, and controlling what you can control, so you have a margin to be able to to, to, to have a, a level of adaptability like that. But um, it's it, but but it's not all, sort of all chaos all the time, right? And or at a certain point in the. Right. in the development and in, in some of its experience, I mean, for for sure, you know, oh, I've seen this and nothing bad happened or, but right. I'm still gonna pay attention. that, you know, yeah. tr- control, trust, but right. verify sure. did, um, did it help at all to like rationalize that it
2: wasn't a, a malicious entity that you were facing, that everything, like your fear is based largely on decisions that you make. If you make a good decision, the fear lowers. If you make a bad decision, it increases like there, there's kind of this you're not afraid all the time but as you go through this okay this situation is really bad if i make a bad move it's going to really increase the level of fear that i feel or vice versa
0: I, I don't I mean yes <laughs> um, it as opposed but, but to it, like
2: somebody that would be over in Afghanistan and okay oh there's a, this there's person a, is trying to kill me this is this is a, a gunfight is gonna happen so the best control I can have is like taking care of the basics that that fear is almost steady I would guess
0: is yeah but it's also I mean different and this was one of those things where I that came up from the military training I mean I had always I mean, had a, maybe a stronger mystical connection, if you will, to the mountains than some other people. So I definitely did assign them some sentience, mm-hmm. you know, consciously or not. Um, and but but and I think we've talked about this at some other point. I, I, I always you know flippantly say oh the mountain can only kill you in five different ways and and it's not going to change those ways it's not going to ever become more effective right. at you know rockfall which, which is way or, less
4: ways than the fucking jungle by the way <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, well yeah hence you know again i'm going towards simplicity i thought it was interesting because mm-hmm. you asked mark kind of
4: like how did you climb mountains like and it, like you couldn't like conceptualize why he would put himself in those positions,
0: yeah. but it sounded like when he oh. was in the jungle, you yeah. were like, "Oh, dude, I don't would, want to do that shit." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he was talking about you drive by that patch of right, you know yeah. fucking forest or jungle or, like, or whatever on the, have the road, to time this water I... moccasin right and <laughs> yeah, get yeah. my canoe over. You know, like yeah. it's, I never would have left the car. He's just <laughs> yeah. like, like, oh, you know, you see the thing and you say you never would want to go in there. I'm like, damn right, because <laughs> yeah. there's a fucking church's fried chicken up the road and I'm headed that way. You know, or or or, or whatever you know thing I can make a joke about there, but. Um, but in the mountains, it is very simple, and then when I started working with military guys and realized like, oh, yeah, the mountains were never actively hunting me right you know in, in a way and, and never adapting their tactics to my behavior. Right. And so I used to think that climbing was a pretty high risk sort of thing and um, and and very cool or whatever and and hard. And I started working with different groups. Um, the military and just realize like okay yeah th- this is it's a different thing and yeah. th- but then there's that also that level of adaptability on their part and they're like yeah it's not that bad you know because because the yeah there's only because maybe their you know sort of capacity to assimilate is greater and they are just go well, yeah the bad guys they only got twenty different ways they're gonna kill you you don't need to know about fifty because right. there's really only twenty or I would say in the mountains you don't need to know about all this other don't fear this stuff is yeah. like um, and. It, And the only given, I think, in any of those situations is um, we sort of talked about, like, um, the uh, the adaptability or capability or whatever is is that you you are going to fuck up.
3: Yeah.
0: And don't, you know, um, and overreacting to the initial mistake is the surest thing that is going to make it turn bad. Um, and so it really has to be in that situation where oh, I made a I, I we made a bad decision. We're in this situation now, and dude, breathe. Take a minute. Let's not like we want to freak the fuck out. And if we freak the fuck out, then yeah, we make worse decisions. It's yeah. It's it, 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 it will just sort of compound itself. Like yeah. the the the. I mean it would uh, liken it to you know sort of oh I, I'm driving along the road and it's icy out or whatever and you know I lose the back end and I start over correcting mm-hmm. and those oscillations when you don't you know when you overcorrect with a small o you can start to minimize those oscillations but if you <laughs> fucking just freak out and you know counter steer the, the then okay now we're doing 360s and we're headed into right. the ditch.
3: Okay I got one more question for him. Oh. Is that okay? Yeah yeah please. How did you, how does it feel when you're at the top of one of those big climbs? Like, what are you feeling? Are you happy? Are you just fucking?
0: Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, one work? of the reasons I bring it up is
3: because I was talking to Josh, the pararescue guy mm-hmm. who's this amazing business now, um, in Salt Lake city. And I was like, you know, all I feel when I get done with any kind of assignment is relief. Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. relief. Yeah. Not, and I'm not like. I, I'm not happy. I'm just f- relieved that I, you know, went okay. The pictures are good, and, and if am okay. Like, the
0: situation as you have described, in order to, in in a way where you try to, you know, you almost consciously try to make it harder for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that is going to be what happens. Is that it's a sense of relief because you went through this crucible. So it it would depend. I mean, for me, um, I had a habit. It turned. I realized later. Um, I didn't know it was a habit. I thought just bad shit happened to me sometimes on the way down. But I would say I fucked up more descents off of more mountains in more mountain ranges around the world than probably anybody Mm -hmm. Um, and got away with it and um so when people go oh you conquered the mountain you're on top you kind of no, raise your the, arms the and bottom. i'm just like No, i yeah. oh, yeah. gotta go down <laughs> you gotta go down we're okay we're in worse condition now than we were when we were tackling all this stuff so we're more exhausted um but the timing we we could control this when we started the climb and maybe we could control where we were at certain points of, on the climb that maybe corresponded with darkness or light or whatever like i want to be on the more technical terrain and it's light i want to be on the e- terrain where i can move really um g- steadily when it's dark so therefore i can stay warm because i'm not carrying any way to stop and sleep um and so then you get to the top and, and, I, and people will go oh well you're halfway there i'm like no 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 you're 30 percent of the way there because you have it um you ha- you have reduced your capacity to handle all the shit that's going to happen on the descent yeah. you know by having arrived in that." place and so for me it's just like i'm at the top well i'm fucking terrified like it doesn't um it because it doesn't stop until okay when i get to true safety Mm -hmm. that sense of relief that you're talking about is absolutely overwhelming um where i just realize like oh it can fall no further like i'm down on the ground now or i'm in you know sort of something warm or you know or or, or whatever right. that where this that where the thing is done and it's and it's safe and now now we can truly relax but with you know get to the top it's not it's never the sense of yeah. it's there, there's never a sense of you know that accomplishment or conquering or i have you know mastered the environment or whatever it's like okay I, i've been tolerated thus far and i ultimately get back down the only energy if it was a an appropriately important experience if you will mm-hmm. the only sort of energy that's left is what you can you know it's the sense of relief like that's right. uh, all like I don't have any more for there's like there's no celebrating there's no nothing that might come after a couple days of recovery but right. fuck we're down here and it's just <sighs>
3: yeah so, that that and, I get I, I think <laughs> <so>. I, <laughs> I I'd, I'd, imagine, I'd imagine yeah. Yeah. I,
2: I want to say that you just made um, a, a very astute parable to any effort that's like worth having is it, it a lot of people think celebration when yeah. they're like yeah I did the thing woo and then ensues is partying, and the rest of everything is easy. But in reality, it, it, utter relief seems like any project that's worth taking on that's difficult yeah. and that is scary and involves a massive amount of um, insecurity yeah. about whether you're going to finish, whether it's alive or finish in good, you know, or get finished, or get finished, or yeah, to to, to come out in a state that is livable. That it seems like it's highlighted by absolute relief that it's over right and utter fear in very strong like not only just the anxiety of the entire task but the the fear in the moment of things that you have to actually take care of and, and accomplish
0: um i i, I mean if, i think i think you know looking in the, the situation of you know and we just go refer back to the jungle sort of okay. thing is that that you are there tasked with actually you know doing your craft in that environment mm-hmm. and you know and when i look at climbing i'm like yeah i i yes i'm i'm in this i'm i'm, I'm doing my thing in the, in order to be in this environment i'm not like thrown into this environment um and and also not only do i have to climb but then i have to like do the assignment for yeah. which i have you know um you know ag- agreed to do I, you did something really interesting that
2: i just want to fucking point out because it's, it's something that we um <laughs> that we identify like similar um, uh, we identify friends this way is that you You asked yourself the question of like I wonder what that's like not because you just want a glorified answer to no- think that you know but because I can tell in your head you're wondering if you can do this thing. So you, I- you want <laughs> as much information as you can <laughs> possibly get it, because the same thing was happening when you're talking about the jungle. I'm like yeah fuck that but when you're talking about the narrowness and the canoes and what you'd have to eat in my head, I'm like, what would I bring? What would yeah. be like? I'm thinking of mosquito nets. I'm thinking of like weird things because I'm wondering if I can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. Like right. I am not interested 100. But I'm thinking if that if I had a friend that's like, hey, I have an idea. Yeah. Then I'd be like, yeah, I've thought about this scenario. Here's what we're gonna have to like. I would. I would, I would be no talked idea. easily into <laughs> this thing, right? Like yeah. I, it would be really easy for somebody that I respect to be like you want to do this thing? And without any experience, I would first be like, well, as long as I'm not a liability, I would like to be a part of this experience. Right. As long as I'm not, I, if I can make the trip worthwhile and I can add to it, then that's something I want to be a part of.
4: Like literally before you said that, the next thing I was going to say was, I can't wait to see the pictures from your first climb. Oh <laughs> yeah. no, man, I don't
3: know. I don't know. I think, you know, the, I think the real, the, the reason I really asked that question, I think is because, like when you, when I'm put in a situation to mine information from a perspective that's incredibly unique and at, at an amazingly elite level, like I'm going to take that. Mm. Even if I have to overrun a podcast, I'm going to like, this <laughs> is my chance. I want to know because I've always wanted to know. Like, so I was, uh, I was flying to um, Colorado recently and uh, I was in the airport and I looked at this guy and I was like, God, I know him. And then suddenly I was like, that's John Krakauer. And I don't have many celebrity crushes, but I've read all of his books more than once. And I'm just amazed because when you see him, he doesn't, I mean, you unassuming. know. So, so, yeah, he's unassuming. <laughs> I and thought you'd be I, taller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? He did that stuff? Um, no, but, um, but um, you know, I think, you know, one of the reasons I asked that question is because I don't know when I'm going to get this opportunity again. But two, it's always, it, it, it just informs future conversations that i might have with similar people whether it's sure what you've done in in mountaineering or or something else like i'm always trying to understand what might be in their head that allows them to do that because if you can kind of show that you might that you're curious about it and then you might get it a little bit and want to know where it really comes from them it's it's a it's a um sometimes it can be a cathartic thing for them because they don't really think about it they're so busy doing whatever they're doing right um and number two it's just adding to my kind of toolkit um in terms of being able to connect with other people at that level so
0: you uh, just bring up uh crack hour um and and i would just like have to like circle back and i go yeah he's John is responsible for me uh shooting pictures wow because the first um when he did uh, the 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 Iger sanction story for outside magazine and I'm like oh I'm gonna go try and climb the north face of the Iger and we're gonna tie this you know the, you know the sort of the that the little bit of reference to that novel that Trevanian wrote um w- with this actual experience and Thing. And then, well, I need a climbing partner to go over there. And he and I had done a couple of, like we, uh, I, I just knew him casually, from, you know, in the Seattle climbing scene, we'd done a couple of like, worked on an article where he was reviewing some ice tools or something. And he was like, ah, and Mark's a capable climber. He would come over. And, um, and so they said, well, you know, we can't really, we can't send a climbing partner and a photographer with you. Does your guy know how to shoot pictures? And so John goes, hey, do you have a camera? I'm like, of course I have a camera. <laughs> order it you know, yeah. yeah had amazon existed um, yeah. you know. <laughs> anyway i mean and and so we, we we did that trip and it ended up um, there's a story in auger dreams about it um uh, uh but the you know the very first picture i ever sold was a full page photo in outside magazine of john on uh, you know on, on our attempt there and so i kind of you know sort of thank and blame and, right, you know, and <laughs> and for that, you know, a little bit of that obsession and um, and and you know, to see him like just we start talking about craft and and working on it for a long time. I mean, to to have like known him and, and witnessed him working in that era in yeah. his in his life, which would have been like we went to the Iger in eighty four. So, you know, he was he he had been selling you know at, at that point like making a living from running you making just enough of a living that he had quit uh either do, you know doing construction i think carpentry was wow, um, really sort of his thing yeah and mm-hmm. it just kind of turned the corner there and he worked so fucking hard and diligently mm-hmm. and um and and that's obvious and you know what, what happened yeah uh, you know how, how his career developed and uh i just get a total kick now of like looking at his Instagram post, which is called crack hour. Not writing yeah. is the name of his feed. And I just
3: like laugh. I'm like, yep, you, yeah. you earned the right to not write a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, am amazed by him because his first works, both the magazine articles and then the books were based on a culture that he was already in already in and yeah, at a very high level. Yeah. But for him to be able to do under the banner of heaven, mm-hmm. um, I just finished for the second time his book on Pat Tillman. Mm-hmm. And like to be able to get access, to get these people to talk about stuff they don't really want to talk about to an outsider, whether it's the military stuff with Pat Tillman or, um, you know, those, the, 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 stuff, the FDLDS yeah. was yeah. like, that's like hats off. I was but, dying to yeah. know what he was reading. He's reading something. Of course he's reading something, but um, <laughs> like what people read is always of interest to me.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty funny. I have this um, uh, friend of mine who's a uh, climber, um, Slovenian guy, Marco Prezel, and we've been he's been talking about this book project, and and part of that when I visited him in Slovenia this year, he, he wants to go around and do some um, sort of interviews and profiles of uh, of people other climbers or who have been influential in his life and and so one of the things that he's he said look i I need to go and spend time in their space you know so so when this thing finally comes together mark i'm going to come and i'm going to see and he goes and he said one of the most critical things for me when sort of analyzing or assessing or you know engaging with another person is i want to come into your space and look at the you know your bookshelf yeah your bookshelves
2: yeah that's the first thing that I do. I, yeah,
0: <laughs> I, it's 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 a it's a it's a funny because yeah. because I, I think that that reading thing is like oh well I guess, and then I guess I'd have to set my fucking Kindle up on the bookshelf now because oh yeah yeah you know, I was just like, thinking just yeah. Yeah. My yeah, phone. yeah you have to get like, on my phone thirty books in that one you know so but
2: and and that a that space. depressed me the other day so I started ordering real books again because it was like well, I looked at my bookshelves and they, this doesn't represent me anymore it represents what made me yeah. or maybe like I had an influence but it's not. It's not indicative of what kind of person I am anymore yeah. and I like, what am I gonna put my I- iPad on the fucking yeah right shelf like uh, yeah. uh, there's something if uh, the first thing I did the first time I went to Mark's house was look at his bookshelves.
0: and I was like, this is a perfect representation of fuck like I have that beautiful hallway with the art lighting yeah. and all those black and white prints and you fucking look at the bookshelf
2: To give you an idea, it, it's fastidious in nature. It's organized. And it is not everything that he reads. It's the things that are useful and important is what I got from it. I was right. like, hey, he cut the fat even out of his fucking bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's
3: great that you have that that bookshelf. Um, you know, all my stuff, I, I say I read a lot. I don't read a lot. I listen to a lot, um, mm. a lot of books. And um, that's kind of a shame. It kind of goes back to you um, re <laughs> re-experimenting with using film cameras versus uh, di- the digi- digital cameras in the fact that like a hundred years from now, how much interesting insight, how much, n- how many of the notes of, of, of influential people, not just influential, but people that have really made a difference or not made a difference, are we going to have? And like what insights are we not going to garner? Because unless you crack their email, which includes everything, it's mm-hmm. like
0: yeah you don't know I you mean don't know. or if you don't look into the and that's the i mean i know that michael and i do, were both, we're both you know chronic note takers um and i'm just guessing i mean i haven't seen the bookshelf but i'm guessing i'm going to pick up any book on his bookshelf and there's going to be under you know things will be underlined there'll be right. notes in the margins there'll be and then you know all that stuff that you quote can't do you know and the, yeah i can highlight stuff when i'm reading it on my ipad and then i can go you know press some button i think and look at all the things that i highlighted but it's still like it's just it's not that same sort right. of f- feeling in I'm, a way and and you know one sort of electromagnetic burst and yeah t- shit, I, all my underlining is gone you know or highlighting is gone <laughs> so the fur i think
2: um uh, th- this year i'm not a voracious reader by any means but i do like to read i just read at a very slow pace so i can't like take in volumes of things but the when I do read a book, I like it to count. So if I read a book and it's not where I think it, like I will ditch that book faster than anything. If I I have no patience for bad writing or mm-hmm. or things that don't capture my interest. So I do start a lot of books. I finish very few, but the ones that count. It felt one if 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 anything matters to writing, pulling out a brand new highlighter on paper and mm. highlighting it for the first time in a year. Because I don't think I've read like read an actual paper book in the past year it was all on ipad and that i was like yep i'm going back to this like this is the fucking yeah and and i remember distinctly like when i highlight in an ipad i never remember any of the quotes so at the end of the year last year i went back to every book that i read to try to take the highlights and capture like i forgot what i read and rereading it was like reading it for the first time which is not a benefit because I didn't remember it right. but I remember now I mean I brought up the writing well thing in a, in a earlier thing because I remember distinctly just because I highlighted it manually and then hi- and then underlined it with a pen and it was like fuck why is this better like mm. we we okay we've gotten to technology I can carry 30,000 books around with me in a, in a you know less than a pound that's supposed to be better. You no, know, the, you know, the cool thing is you can carry a
0: bookstore around. That. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, which, is, which is sort of genius. It's like, yeah. you know, uh, the Amazon guy, what's his name, Bez, Bezos, Bezos, be- Bezos yeah. whatever. And it's like, I put a store in your phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: But it's seemingly like, worse. Like now, uh, and I don't know why that, I don't know how to describe that. It's almost, I would say that there is a parallel by putting like a very high quality phone on the iPhone um you mismanage the work that it takes to execute a fine photograph mm-hmm. and oh, just by putting like, a, a high quality camera yeah, on the phone yeah, yeah 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 like being like now i have now i don't have to carry the thing that i have to adjust and, and yeah. like and there is okay great like i love having a phone especially on bike rides where i was able to like take a picture that is high quality enough to print yeah. um, and captured at least a moment like i i have a picture of us in bulgaria and it's one of these like distraught days like six hour bike ride and it's into nowhere and, and the the clouds broke a little bit and i was like oh this could make for a good photograph there's like some little darkening and then there's some rays of light and then mark was writing and there's like a sign in Cyrillic with an x through it and i like just slowed took a picture and that thing that that is the quintessential one picture that sums up bulgaria for me Right. And it has like all the mood. And maybe right. you wouldn't get that from the photograph, but for me when I look at the picture I'm like, I'm really glad I had that camera. However, yeah. When I see the plethora of pictures that are out there trying to just transpose similar ideas, yeah. I'm like, I you kind of miss the point. And it's just like I read a really good book on an iPad. Right. It was great.
3: It was a good book. It's just not the same. So um I recently did um two shoots for the National Guard that I've been trying to do for years with Mm -hmm. them. And basically I wanted to, whenever there was a natural disaster, go and go quickly and join them because when do you think about the National Guard other than when there's a huge flood or big fire or whatever? And so finally, you know, some roles moved around within the National Guard and finally I got the opportunity to do it. But the reason they sent me is because they wanted me to shoot – with my iPhone to be able to get the images up right away Mm. and so nationalguard.com and their Instagram feed became it ended up becoming like a news source it was interesting because it became kind of a news source for the National Guard soldiers and their families which is way cool Um, but it was the first assignment I had ever done where my iPhone came out first and then I would shoot with my With my, my I I was just going to say that doesn't speak to your phone.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I know. Yeah, but you know, it it is
3: it is amazing what that phone can do. And like we were talking about earlier, um, I don't feel like photography. improved a lot in the hands of the masses just with the invention of the iPhone. I really feel like it was Instagram Mm -hmm. and then the things that came along after it that allowed you to do Mm post-production without having the knowledge of Photoshop or Lightroom or anything else. Mm -hmm. I feel like that that was the game-changing thing. But it was interesting to be doing these things in really chaotic situations Mm -hmm. and like shooting away with my my (laughs) iPhone first. That must have like been somewhat nerve-wracking
0: in a way. It like, was. It's, like, wow, if I get the, uh, I, this could be an, uh, an incredible shot and now I'm going to take it with my phone and, right. and miss it. And <laughs> yeah. Or no, no, you you <laughs> might get it but it won't be of the resolution yeah. Absolutely. That, that, that you That
3: you. Absolutely. Would, I mean, you know? it goes back to the texting and driving mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, people want you to, as photographers now, because video has become so much easier, not necessarily with the iPhone, but just with the DSLRs. Mm-hmm. Um, they want you to do both. And I'm like, man, that is two different headspaces. Like oh, to think in oh, that yeah, way narratively shit. in terms yeah. of video mm-hmm. and to be shooting, in the, shooting at a high level is like, you're just asking for it. It's like the writing and the shooting at the same time. Yeah,
2: I tried to get, like I've been playing with a little bit of video, but how it's actually translated is just by doing GIFs. Like yeah. coming up with moving images just for a particular sequence right. that capture an emotion. Yeah. I have no fucking clue how to shoot video. Yeah. Like I, I don't have an eye for it. I can't fathom how to edit it or what yeah. a sequence looks like. But, but I, I was under the impression, well, like I know what light looks like. Yeah. Nope.
3: Yeah. not in video you don't <laughs> well, well <laughs> no pressure but what do you have to do you have to do you have to come up with an amazing image every for every second or less that's yeah. a lot of pressure yeah she Should be lot. like oh just shoot a little video i'm like <laughs> oh no man and we want to tell this story and yep. like all right this is just not you can't just wing this stuff it's not gonna oh that's it's a, not gonna be so, at the level that i expect so do you get as perturbed as i think you would when people
2: ask you what kind of gear you shoot on
3: no i'm okay, okay. um <laughs> no <laughs> i get i get perturbed with what's my favorite f-stop oh, Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that's like oh come on um i get prepared to perturbed when um people like you know want to be an assistant and they don't really they don't come with any questions they just say hey um, you know, hire me i want them to be prepared because yeah I'm not going to try, if they didn't prepare to ask the question, I'm not going to prepare, think they're going to be prepared on a shoot. Um, the gear I've shot Canon for a long time. Like I was right at the, um, right. I was beginning my career when digital, when we transitioned from film to digital. And as we were discussing before, um, like I just left grad school and I was living in Washington DC when nine 11 happened and literally overnight, um, the the uh, it went from ninety percent film and ten percent digital to ten percent digital and ninety percent film. Um, so I've been ninety percent. Right, uh, sorry, yeah, vice yeah, versa. Yeah. Um, so it, it um, so you know I was right at that transition, which was an interesting spot to be in. And then once I settled in, like I'd been using Canons and Leica with um, for film. Once digital came along, Canon was so much better early on that I stuck with Canon. It's only been in. The last year or so that I've really kind of expanded to move into like with the uh, um, with some of the stuff that I'm doing with the military because we're shooting at night and when you shoot through the kit that allows you to see, like the infrared stuff, it's not very good. And so, especially if it's a nautical twilight, right where the sun's going down, um, I've enjoyed using the Sonys. I also shoot quite a bit for um, TV shows, like on the Discovery Channel and Channel 4 in the UK. Um, And if you're shooting on a TV show, you have to encase your camera in something called a blimp, so there's no sound. And by by shooting those Sonys, I don't have to deal with that. So that's Mm. been really nice. but it's the video people that have always really impressed me because they are constantly changing technologies mm-hmm. and gear and their 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 fearlessness of taking on a camera they've never worked with, understanding how it works and then like getting red or like one of those insane any things. C one hundred, C three hundred reds, you know, you name it, and they're just fearless. And once I started working with the video crews, like I was like, I should be like that. You know, yeah. So I, started I should to join like, the arms race. Yeah, I should. <laughs> you <laughs> so, should just look
0: at
2: Mark's collection and be like, "Okay, yeah. <laughs> like this is the start of how to use twenty different cameras." Yeah. I I lo- he brings them in some days. I'm like, "Which one is that?" I, you're on
3: your own. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not yeah. even about to start on that. Road. Yeah, but the you know the camera that produces the the picture can and the lenses can be. Um, can be as important in terms of the way the actual in, the end product mm. looks. I mean, you don't notice it if you don't know, but mm. if you know, you notice. you notice and but also, <coughs> I mean, for me as the,
0: as a photographer, it's it it changes the experience of of making the image right. or mm. you know, capturing the, the the image or whatever that that oh, I had, because I kind of went a little bit too far down that road, but I ended up with a um uh camera an old leica from 1963 and a couple of lenses from 61 and ones from 57 or something mm-hmm. and and i just i love shooting with those cameras right. for for how it feels and for how it changes the way that i see like if right. i bring out you know the my m10 you know so whatever the, the most my most modern version of an m camera versus one of those it's a completely different different, different thing. thing and whether you can see it in the end result or not i actually don't care right. <laughs> in, wow. in in a sense because i'm not trying to you know m- make that distinction or produce one or the other yeah. it's like oh i need to have a like a digital camera for this because um and i had a uh, a guy and uh uh photographer nicholas uh tavola who um he was enamored of this one particular Leica lens that <laughs> um, that got written off. I mean, it was a pre-aspheric 35-millimeter lens, F1.4, that was only made for a, a short amount of time because of the, if you, when you open it all the way to, to 1.4, you just get this ethereal glow around every light source or around a person if they're backlit or whatever. Right. And he uses it to an incredible effect. And he... Um, and he shared a couple of his images with me, and I went, oh, my God, this is am- this is amazing. Nobody wanted it precisely because of that defect. Right. And I close it down to F8 or whatever, and it's like any normal, like a sort of lens with all of the, the, the depth and richness that goes with them. Um, but the but I, he said, you'll never be able to find one. It has to be in this serial number range. It has the purple coating on it. It's not made in Canada. It's one of the German ones. There's like 800 of them out there. And so I'm just like challenge accepted (laughs) you know and like three days later i had one on the way from italy that i'd found and that's what that's the lens that i shoot with most of the time and i'll shoot it wide open and whatever i need to do to like inject this weird ethereal thing that you know nobody really likes (laughs) except gank it looks like yeah it looks like a mistake like it looks like a lot of times it looks like a light leak into an old Mm -hmm. film camera um and it's to me it's like a really beautiful thing and it, it and it adds a little piece of character rather than okay like my phone click document mm, um right. it snapseed yeah, <laughs> yeah. plus and you know whatever some tonal contrast whatever it's you know fake effect.
2: focal blur mm-hmm. liquid <laughs> right. well
0: that, that that's a the the interesting thing is like oh we you will put the depth of field in after words with a, you know some kind of algorithm in the phone. Leads me to a thing that I was hoping that we might get to. Mm. There is this new um, little thing you put you can put it in the hot shoe of your DSLR, which it's a um, it's a, a smart assistant called Arsenal.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um,
0: that it, it says with a single tap you activate Arsenal's smart assistant AI. The smart assistant is trained on thousands of great photos. It will determine and fine tune the optical settings for the scene you are shooting. Wow! So don't bother learning just buy the thing. And this as a Kickstarter, it like they raised so much, Mm, seven times you know what the ask was to get this thing made. And I'm just like, okay, well that means how can we get rid uh, of this? No, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, exactly. That means that a lot of people don't want to go through the process of learning. So I can buy buy the hack.
4: Instagram pictures up.
0: Well, so on the similar vein, because I was going to ask you about this, and
2: I can't think of the the name of the product, but it's a, a camera and it has like forty different lenses built into the thing. Do you know what the name yeah. of it is? Yeah, uh, um, light light. The, that's right. You're onto lidar, but um S- something, something. I, really phenomenally piece of like technology where I question like, oh, that, that's interesting because it, because of the size, right? And in the amount of like change or hopefully input you could have on it until you come to realize that. No, you don't have actual input, it just takes it and then you take the best of what you want. It's basically photoshop in a box. Right. Like I'm highlighting the things that are there right. or you know, diffusing them or doing it. it's a really interesting looking thing, and I was kind of I was half curious to buy one just mm-hmm. to play with it, but it's a pretty expense, like twenty five hundred bucks or something. I
3: was like, eh, I'd rather go A9. The thing <laughs> that the so I've heard about that. Um I haven't played with it, but you, come on you need to be fearless about this man you need to be on the well, cutting uh, edge i'll, of I'll the tell opinion. you why i'm like oh man i'm I'm, sh- I'm sure it does an amazing job what i don't want to deal with is the after effects of a shoot where you've got to go in and individually like pick what you want to do with the image it's um i had a thousand shutter stops which means i have forty thousand photos
2: to filter through. right i
3: mean on a, on a on a big shoot on a journalist you know, journalistic shoot at least I'm probably shooting 2,500 images a day. Mm -hmm. I probably edit out about 500 of those images in camera Mm -hmm. and then I've got to deal with the others Um, and so I don't want anything that's going to like might be quick and easy when you're taking it Mm -hmm. but if the back end is painful then it's like I don't need that yeah name. i don't want to make
0: more work for myself at that point. later it, on it, 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 in the process that i don't maybe enjoy as much as actually yeah, absolutely i'm wondering you know, making... now how they file them now that i think about it because it couldn't be like a 40
2: times per one i think you can probably highlight angle and lens because how i figure it works is it takes one image and then it gives you an option to see the viewpoint of it, and it can probably highlight those all-in-one, perhaps. So I
3: don't think it's taking more images, per se. Mm. Um, I'm more referring to if I have to deal... if I have to, I still need to look through those mm-hmm. images to decide what kind of lens link I want. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's like it's better just to do it... I mean, to, right no, make that decision... In advance. And then be, and then you're committed to it's it. Like it's like everyone's not... like, oh, you can just Photoshop that. Yeah, if, if you want to spend... Yeah, that's the it, but just take off the hat. That's never the that. answer
2: to anybody who has ever, A, learned Photoshop. Right. Um, I mean, if you're like someone like Justin, who is probably so proficient, and in my days when I was doing a lot of editing, I could get through a picture in 20 minutes and have it very clean, unless it needed a lot of work to it. Now I have to, like, it's a, at least an hour to work on a photo. And so if I can do it in camera, Right, the f- I'm it. saving my life. Yeah. Like I'm, uh, a life, uh, like 40 f- pictures is 40 hours as a full-time job. Yeah. Why
0: the hell would I want to edit that yeah, much? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't see the, I have a conversation again with my my mm-hmm. buddy Marco, um, He's a very good photographer also, I and mean, that's how he makes, he's a mountain guide and um, works for a industrial company in Slovenia as they're sort of on-staff photographer. Uh, um, and we have, we're having this discussion about like, oh, if you, if you, um, if If you're attracted to the light, that's what you're going to see with your camera. You know, you, okay, if you, if you, if you like light, that's what you'll see. If you like prefer the darkness and you point your camera at any kind of a scene, that's what you're going to be attracted to. Um, And then he said, but what if you have your camera set on automatic? Hmm and it's like oh bad life metaphor man <laughs> Just like, don't make me hurt my brain oh, you know, any, any okay. further
2: Ross who you haven't met here but uh, our Scottish fellow that, um, that enables us I should say he he recently asked about a camera so he, I somehow talked him into getting an A7 because I think mm. it's a good like starter camera it has a lot of like it has a lot of versatility and it's light and I think it's easier to pull out and take a picture and he showed up and it was like auto and he was like, "Oh, i'm trying to do and i was like here i'm gonna help you and i just like manual set the dial so he knows where iso is and f stuff yeah. and and it was like really and i was like yeah you wanted to take a picture yeah. you didn't want the picture to be taken for you did
3: you <laughs> yeah and i mean it's digital so you're seeing the results mm-hmm. so i mean if you put in a day you know you have the rest of your life with this skill yeah yeah <laughs> Versus yeah, yeah. like exactly. just being up to the a, a, a computer and a, I mean a camera that's mm-hmm. I mean they're okay I guess in terms of reading light if it's simple but mm. if it's not and a lot of times the most dynamic situations are not simple lighting wise big dynamic range all kinds of things it's it's not going to do mm-hmm. it's not going to give you that magic that you're looking for you want to control but uh, there's a uh, but, I have, but I have like the f- magic filter on my phone yeah. just, <laughs> is it is called it? magic I think it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it <laughs> is amazing <laughs> I mean those filters I feel like that's truly <sighs> the game changing thing over yeah. the phones uh, it
2: could be I. I, I kind of I mean I'll be the what did you call it? The curmudgeon old guy. Get off my lawn. lawn. Yeah, yeah. I, I figure oh, in the old days, we didn't even know in the old days I was using Photoshop to learn how to do photography. Yeah, <laughs> but my,
0: I still feel like my it was a lot of work. Tobacco, Tiffin, you know, <laughs> right. graduated filter or whatever on the front of my camera. I was like, if I can just dial that up on my phone <laughs> yeah. right now. Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> there's some use, but
2: uh, all like in all, Miami like... in the
0: eighties. That's a, that's a filter. <laughs> <There's laughs> it turns all the, the colors 80s. pastel. Uh, I thought it just throws just cocaine I going <laughs> to say, <It's>
2: cocaine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cocaine <laughs> everywhere. That's uh, amazing. Uh,
2: if nothing else, it, it, this has been absolutely fucking enjoyable for myself. Just to, to hear some of these stories in detail and, and to find so many similarities. If I would allow Mark to I, highlight your... I, I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by the swamp
0: story still. I'm like looking <laughs> for water moccasins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I uh, I mean, what you and I I mean, Michael, when we're working on this book project right now is like we're looking for the sort of universally transferable lessons or characteristics that that we have identified through the process of training other people that could then be because they're universal could be applied outside. And just like every time I sit down with someone who is, you know, competent and like does. it has this you know high level of capability okay i guess it's just like ah, i'll sit down with someone who's really good at what they do and they've mm. practiced it for a long time and like they've they've lived it and um and, and expressed it and i just think like oh well it's similar it's um like okay we just take the, the if you're good at what you do you you know how to learn and that sort of thing it doesn't that the, the, again the means doesn't matter it could be a camera it could be you know when you were writing it was mm. a keyboard when um uh you know when i watch michael you know train people in the gym i mean these days i just go into the gym every now and then i look at it and i go wow there's you know constantly progressing in this way and it's just and, and the characteristics that allow all of these things to happen because we're human beings they're they're the same characteristics and it's super cool to like sit down in you know with someone and realize Okay, it's true. Yeah. That this stuff is, it's it's applicable everywhere, and you know, the, the the couple of lessons here, I just need to sit with for a little bit. Um, I, yeah, blown away. Thank you. Yeah. Well,
4: my, honestly, my head hurts. Oh no! I, really, I thought I was gonna sit here and be like, oh, like I'm, you know, I'll just sit here and listen, and then I was like, oh, like same thing. Like the parallels were incredibly similar Mm -hmm. and I found that really enjoyable and then just kind of going through the whole thing and listening to you guys talk about something you're really passionate about I thought it was really cool and I've just spent so much time like inside a gym Kind of like man i'm fucking missing out a little bit <laughs> <laughs>
0: i mean actually I can't, I can't shut this down right now because i got Show one you. note i need to go back on i was about to
2: <laughs> branch into
0: something based off of what <laughs> he said so Yeah. so so one thing like we sort of g- go back to um to the, to the start of the f- you know career sort of as, as a photographer or, or that interest like what i find really fascinating is that it was that there was you know co- uh, you know um college education and then graduate school within this particular discipline and and versus sort of what i would look at it and i mean i i i look at i say okay that's craft Mm -hmm. and then i think okay somebody could have arrived at a very similar point but that person might be sort of artist visionary and and treating the the thing uh, you know coming at it from a an an artist background instead of a craftsman background the result can ultimately be the same but i but it just like to me i i don't understand the craftsman part of it i Mm -hmm. get the like oh you know sort of moment of 3 a.m inspiration kind of drive which to me this was like a, a i don't know that i'd ever see you know been presented with an example that 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 compelled me to to make a distinction there and mm-hmm. um so i would ask i'd say do you uh ha, do you consider like a, what do you do if i say what do you do do you say photographer um and then the next thing is do do, do you consider yourself a craftsman or an artist or a mishmash of both sure. because there are
3: you know, inextricably linked in some way. Oof. Um, I would definitely say I'm a photographer. Um, so if somebody asks me what you do, I'm, I'm, I'm a photographer. I'm a photographer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, I don't know. Um, I definitely feel for myself that it is a craft that, um, I've honed definitely through a lot of practice and a lot of, um, not study necessarily academic study, but just study of just study of other people, like a, an, a, a, a constant and very active engagement with. I mean, photography and storytelling, more storytelling than. And
0: just the list of photographers that you went through mm-hmm. of like, oh, I look at a lot of the you yeah. know work from these individuals, and I'm going, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, and going back to that era, like you um, that you were talking about during sort of the, the the Great Depression, sure, and that type of photography of like, okay, we're you know digging ourselves out of a hole, or we are sort of taming the West, or whatever right. like, these ideas. I mean, it's it's fascinating to go back and look at that, um, and and for me, the, you know, photography has such a huge and rich history that makes it possible to do that and and and, and engage with it in in a way that. Um, maybe is missing in like, in the, you know, what have you done for me lately, mm-hmm. you know, nature of, you know, current society in a way, like to be able to mind that historical richness is.
3: Sure, the, well, I, I love history, so I've always been interested in it, and um, anything that can, anything that visually documented it is really gonna get my attention. Um, you know, I think the other thing is, I remember I don't I don't know exactly when it was, but it was very it was pretty early on in my career when I was looking at a lot of um, photographers that preceded me: um, Cartier-Bresson, Gary Winogrand, Robert Frank, um, and these photographers are held up as total groundbreakers. They did revolutionary things with that camera, and not only with the camera, but what they chose to point that camera at yes and so i was inspired by that but i was also sort of saddened by that because i knew at a young age that if my life goal was to have a book that contained 100 images which that's about all of you know cartier brisson's images that anyone really knows like i just i just hope my life is more I hope it's more than a hundred images that people know. So from the get go, the image, it brings me back to the beginning of our discussion, the craft and the art and stuff was all about producing images that would allow for these experiences that I would not get if I didn't have those two things at a certain level. Yeah. So I don't know, I mean, I, I, I kinda, I mean, I guess I get a kick out of seeing my images in something sometimes, but it's really not about that. That's like, that's like you at the top of the mountain.
0: I I was just gonna say, it's like, like, we sent you your complimentary issue of the thing that you're, you know, and you're just like, oh man, that was last year and I've already had, yeah, like three sort of transformative Mm -hmm. experiences between um, then and now, and it's, I, I, I could, definitely see that yeah, it's, it's you if, at the
3: top of that mountain uh, that's what it feels like to me and it's you at the top of the mountain hoping that you get down okay and thinking about what the hell am I going to do next and looking for that rush again and thinking about the cycle that it's going to get you to that rush and you know, how can I go yeah. higher harder faster right. that's really what it's <laughs> next about. time so I don't know I don't think much about in my own work, one, I don't reflect that much on it, so it's neat to do something like this. Okay, mm-hmm. It's kind of like doing a, mm-hmm. you know, when they say it's good to write an artist statement every once in a while, it makes <laughs> you think. So I don't do this stuff very often. I don't think about my work in this way, but it's 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 not about the art and the craft. It's really about what access I'm afforded because of my ability to do a certain thing in life. That
0: is... Uh, beautiful. I mean, uh, I mean, just the, okay. Experience first. Everything else, yeah, got, you know, derives from that. Yep. And I'd have to say that if we, if um, maybe more people <laughs> aimed for that experience first, and everything, and, and and knew, or you know, practiced enough that everything else fell into line in some way, um, I, th- I think we'd all be uh, we'd be communicating better for sure. <laughs> mm. um, just and, and, and maybe the world be i hate this geez i'm not gonna i'm gonna end apologize. on a positive note i apologize to anybody who's <laughs> damn you I mean, the, the, <laughs> don't
2: worry we'll, the, we'll don't, make it up somewhere else okay
0: yeah the world might be a better place like if you mm. search for experience first as opposed to putting let's say commerce yeah. first or how am i gonna if i do this how am i gonna sell it well no if i do this then uh, i will have done this or even your, your <laughs> own legacy seems like if we put our legacy before
2: our like in the moment experience then we're missing the fact of what legacy can be and I think a lot of people are like oh my name my business my thing needs to have this immortality project but (laughs) if you're so worried about the life after this one you're not gonna fucking live this one
3: well I I gotta thank you guys Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed um, my time here and I'm really encouraged by what you guys are doing and I think it goes beyond like the podcast in terms of You are documenting something that's going to go away with the passage of time. I mean, this is like a preservation of all kinds of people from different walks of life and trying to find a connective cord between us all. And I think it's great. I wish I'd come up with it. Um, but <laughs> well, it's you, amazing. You,
0: I'm sorry, you actually just did come up with it. <laughs> yeah. I honestly had no idea what, it, like, there wasn't a plan for this yeah. whole thing. But I, but realized, like, oh, I, I think maybe today has actually helped me, certainly in my head, to refine the direction of, like, oh, this is. I had always thought, or I'd said, when uh, Jim Jones was in its you know, peak or, you know, when it was what I wanted it to be. It was the center of a Venn diagram, you know, within which all, you know, different athletes or different people like, okay, our experience overlaps in this one place. And if we're open to having these conversations with people and having different experiences, then wow, we get to, I, I get to be in this, this place and yet have experiences come to me in a way or or ha- have like said like okay i'm granted access because oh i shared hardship with these people in this particular situation now i get to maybe have the opportunity to go and 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 to their world and experience right. the the thing and 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 if that's what develops out of this yeah. in life I, willing I, to do whatever due
2: diligence uh, just to get like to repeat or at least mimic what some of the stuff that you've done
4: mm-hmm.
3: Is it,
2: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate Amazing. it, you guys. It's been you. a great,
3: great couple hours.
4: So you want me to
0: get the canoe? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I'm <on> that bombshell. <laughs> I never leave the boat. Isn't that the thing? Yeah, never, never leave your boat. Man.
2: Swamp prison is what I'm going to hashtag. <laughs> <a second. laughs> well, this right. is
3: wonderful. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank
2: you, man. You